This week on Invasion of the Podcast, unfortunately, enough said. The more things change, the more they stay the same as we take a look at the 1982 X-Men graphic novel, God Loves, Man Kills. And we supersize our fun as we celebrate National Fast Food Day. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. And it feels weird. Doing, we're just, this is just going to be a regular show. Like yeah. it's been a while since we've done a regular show. Yeah, we had a whole month of Halloween horror stuff, and yeah, and, and then we took a week off. So <laughs> yeah. it's it was good. After after our, um, I hope you guys enjoyed our our wonderful in depth accurate uh criticisms of child's play and dolly dearest <laughs> for a year of the knockoff um you know after after like wonderful discussions about four horror films that were important to you and and then and then dolly dearest i, I need i needed a week you know and, yeah uh it was i just, needed a yeah. week for the halloween hangover like october <laughs> is so busy like yeah it's just like I tried to cram every little thing in that I could, and I, I didn't even do probably half of the things that I wanted to do because it was just, it's so much. So It's funny because, like, uh, what was it? Um, We didn't record last week, but it was I think it was that, it was the Wednesday or something, around that time. I can't remember. Everything's a blur. I actually came home and was like, you know what? I'm going to watch a movie that I want to watch that yeah. has no bearing on any podcast that I'm, I'm related with. Related with? Related to. Um, so like, not that, not that preparing for the show is a bad thing. I like doing it. It's fun. It's, I don't know about you, but sometimes where it's like, you know, there's times where, you know, you need to get something accomplished. You, you may not be in the right mindset or actively looking forward to it, but you still want to engage with it. So it was just nice just turning on Netflix and picking a movie that I wanted to watch as opposed to one that I had to watch. Yeah. Uh, the, the things I do for this show. But it right. was, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to sit down and actually watch media without expectation. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, like, after getting through October, like, I actually watched less horror in October. I feel like than I have in the last like week. But uh, you know, I did like without having to do a show last week. I was like, I can finally dig into you know making a murder season two, which I knew at the time was a bad idea because I then like gobbled up like five episodes in a row and that's probably some heavy watching yeah because yeah. um, i like i watched the first season on i started the first season on a new year's eve night by myself waiting for my wife to come home and i was like you know what before she comes home i'll have a couple beers and i start watching making a murderer that is the worst possible way to watch yeah. that is by yourself just when you're considering the year that you had and you're just drinking and you're just like you're just getting sadder and sadder about what happened <laughs> Um, I will say if, if you're planning on jumping into the second season, I wouldn't say that it's a lighter tone, obviously, but, um, there's some interesting developments that happen within it. And a lot of it is about, you know, giving the, 
you know, I believe it was the prosecution who was like, oh, they didn't really present our side of it. And they do in this one, but it also even it's it's even less strong of a case like once they dig into it in the second <laughs> season we'll put it that way so, I mean, so does it deal more with like the reflection of this because people are aware now of this case more publicly and it, like there's some more outcry over this is there more like, like it feels there's like there's that but know. there's also a lot about uh, so there's a famous attorney whose name I don't remember at this point who uh, based on the first season got involved and like her whole thing is is that like she's she's gotten a lot of people um out simply off of you know bad cases that they were convicted on okay um and like that's kind of her deal um and she says to um because brandon dassey's uh, case is still being handled by the the same people who were doing it i believe on the first season um this would be um oh, I can't steve name? avery yeah Stephen avery um you know, she says to him, you know, like, look, I'm going to figure out, like, if it's if you really did do this, like, you need to tell me now because, like, I'm going to find out one way or another. Um, and he's like, no, no, like, do what you need to do for the case. You know, I'm innocent. Da, 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 da. And uh, basically what happens is a lot of the things that that were – long story short, like, he he's obviously wrongly convicted, at least in my mind, and also – the prosecution and the cops in general did a very, very poor job of framing him. Like, if somebody's actually looking at the evidence that they need to to prove his innocence, which there is a part of it too, some of it they didn't get uh, huh. the, the the first defense team. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. it's it's. It's pretty. I'm not doing it very much justice at this point, but I because I'm trying not to give a, give it away. No, it's I, I, I do want to watch is, it, but yeah. yeah, it's just one. Of, but you said you watched like four or five episodes. I, I actually it. burned through the entire oh, season now, okay. but like that was my first thing I watched after Halloween. So and now and now you're at night. You're going to school to get a law degree. So that well, way one more start. season, and I believe I qualify <laughs> to take the bar. <laughs> Yeah, it's like instead of like um, Netflix immediately popping on to the next uh, item, it's like all of a sudden you get like a, 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 a screen that's like, please start filling out this form. I'm like, no, I wasn't even ready for this. No. Um, yeah. I mean, basically what she does is she goes back through the case and, and reviews all the evidence and the DNA and all that stuff. Hmm. So um, her findings are very, very interesting. We'll okay, I, w- I will get to it. Throw another log on the pile. That is things I need to get to. I will um, say that like it didn't feel like a binge though. Like it, you, it is one of those things where it's like you finish an episode and you're like, next episode start start starts and you you don't even like think to be like oh, I should stop now. Oh, like, okay, yeah. Well, that's that's fair because I know the first the first uh, series. I just I had to keep going. Like I yeah, just couldn't stop. Watching. I devoured the like, first yeah. one in a day. Yeah, um, I I didn't finish it in a day because clearly I was drinking and getting yeah. sad on New Year's Eve. But yeah, so um, I got to do something that I normally don't haven't done recently, other than watching movies just because I wanted to. And I'm not gonna go through every single one and like point by point. Um, but I do want to mention that speaking of Netflix, I did watch Apostle, which just came out recently. Awesome movie. Um, I had to say anything more to give away why I dug it. So that was cool. Uh, I actually went to the theater. I took I took this past Friday off and I actually went to the theater during the day and watched two movies. Mm-hmm. I was going to watch a third, but the start time was like four hours later, and I just didn't want to you know putz around the east side of Cleveland. Uh, so I went and watched Overlord, which is the one that came out this this past weekend. That is the Abrams produced uh, World War II horror movie mashup. Uh, doesn't reinvent the wheel. Still a fun movie. 
Like there, it's uh, I. It's a shame that it's not performing as well at the box office, but I feel like um, I just I think the advertising gave away like what it is. Yeah. But how would people know what it is at all? Like it's one of those ones that you watch the movie and the movie doesn't want to tell you what's going on until halfway through with monsters, but the trailers all show something going on in this basement of this church, right? I, sorry, I don't mean to give it away, but if you've seen a trailer for Overlord, it gives away that there's something wrong going on in this movie. Um, so spoiler, I, now that I've just said that, spoiler. Uh, but it's fun. Like In terms of the, there's some good humor here and there. Um, I think the war stuff in the first half is way more effective than the monster stuff in the second mm-hmm. half. Monster stuff is still really good. But when you have like the Saving Private uh, Ryan moments of this, like all these guys are trying to like you know fight the Nazis and oh a character that you like hey I kind of wanted to, oh he's gone like it was just very like the horrors of war almost shocked me more than like the horrors of science you yeah. know and still a fun movie like it's worth checking out. Well, um, every article that I saw about the movie this past like week has been uh lamenting the fact that it didn't do well at the box office you know and i think it was just poorly timed because you're coming off of yep i would agree halloween not only the holiday but the movie uh suspiria released around the same time and i feel like it's you know audiences are kind of got a lot to watch right now and i this I, this could have been snuck out in like a mid-august and maybe probably yeah. caught fire like because i feel like it wasn't one to be like to end all movies but it would have been a fun go and just like watch this and you know it you're right i think the release of it wasn't the best because it was also up against uh bohemian rhapsody which is doing pretty well not that the same weekend but bohemian, right. you know uh and then also um the grinch the animated holiday movie came out which destroyed everybody like, so, I mean, it's it's important to counter program, right? And it's it's not to go on this tangent, Jesus, but uh, if you go back and look at um, the release schedule, like in the er, the mid 80s and see what movies were going coming out against each other, you would be like, that's insane. How could they possibly compete? Because there's so many big names that would just come out. Well, big names now, but we yeah. didn't know how well they would do then because studios really wanted your dollar. Now there's there's that kind of like, we'll step aside for this weekend and let you have this. Well, that's also yeah. because a movie could sit in a theater for three three months and make a lot of money that way. Like, yeah. you know, you would go see something in you know May and it would still be playing in the theaters in August, whereas now you're lucky four if... Weeks four weeks and might be weeks, out the yeah. door. Yeah, and I feel like Overlord might not be around long. So, uh, you know... If you've seen the trailer, you know what the game is. Go, go, just go see it. It's it's fun. Um, oh, uh, what's his name? Um, Fitz from uh, Agents of Shield is in it. Uh, I forget his actual character, his actor's name. The the British half of that duo. Yeah. Uh, he he's he's fine in it. Um, I didn't realize that the the one lead was actually the son of Goldie Hawn and um, Kurt Russell. Um, what's his name? Something Wyatt Ford, I think, is his name. Like when you see that, it's like he kind of looks like Kurt Russell, but with blonde hair. It's like, oh, well, that all makes sense then. Like it's weird how like it's like, oh, that that, that is the amalgamation of those two. <laughs> like, okay. So, um, he's pretty good at it. it it's just and, and also you've you've seen Game of Thrones. You're caught up, right? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, you're on Greyjoy, like the older, like mm-hmm. well, not the, like he's not. The, He's the, the the asshole Greyjoy that's not um you know what he's what comes in later seasons yeah he plays the head Nazi in this and it's like oh, you like, just you just want to punch him <laughs> like because you want to punch him as you're on Greyjoy I imagine say, him yeah. just being a Nazi and it's like he's really good at being just a jerk you know um so that was fun then after that I went and saw Halloween finally mm-hmm. um I liked it 
and not to you know we talked about it already on the show a little yeah. bit um I, I see your point about um one of the characters being written specifically for a movie as opposed to you know well i like, then read an article afterwards that said that you know oh like a lot of that was made up on the set and i was like all right well i don't know i just that kind of humor because i have no problem with humor in a movie in in a halloween movie but that specific character just didn't work for me i I didn't mind it i thought it was okay um there are other points in the movie that i had some like "Eh, i don't know how i feel about some of this but Mm -hmm. uh there there is a point in the film whenever it's probably about halfway through where you know there's a girl alone in the street and she realizes that like you know something's really wrong going on and you hear like the traditional Halloween score kick up, but then there's this weird droning noise that mixes in with it. That's like, it's just like this update to the theme. That was awesome. Like I felt like it's like, Oh, you know this, but now it's like, not only do you have the Halloween music, which is panic inducing, you almost have like this air raid siren warning, like warbling in and out of this, the score. And it just, it just fits really well. And it just just ratchets it up the, the unease. Right. I like that. Um, the sequence with the, the, the motion lights in the backyard, was cool because even though you know how it's going to end, it still messes with you. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was great. Uh, um, her daughter, Judy um, Greer. Yeah, I love her and everything. Yeah, and and what they gave her to do at the end was great. That's yeah. you know, so yeah, it was good. It was fine. I like like is did it. Um, I don't know if I need another one, though. I'll just say that, because the way that this movie kind of wraps up, you're like, you know what? I think we're good. I yeah. think I think that, um, you know, David Gordon uh, David Gordon Green and uh, uh, Danny... Um, McBride. McBride, I, yeah, you know, he's pounded down. And, and company and Carpenter, I feel like they picked up what was a tarnished franchise, dusted it off, shined it back up to gleam almost like new, and then left it in a really good good place. I don't think I need another Halloween movie. I know it's one of your favorite franchises, but no, I mean, I, I, I completely agree in the sense that yes, I, I, if they were like, we're never going to make another Halloween movie, you know, I would be okay with that. At the same time, I'm savvy enough to know that there's no way they're not making another <laughs> Considering Halloween. Considering this thing overperformed gangbusters, yeah. right? So, so that, so sure. I mean, I, if if they still do a good job, great. I just feel like this was a really a really great bookend like and i it's like almost how do you come back from that like from you know the way the movie wrapped up yeah uh you'd argue like h2o how do you how do you come back from that and then they found a way to screw that up in the next movie but um yeah it just it was it was solid um i liked that uh there there was a lot of moments of calm in the foreground and brutality in the background that felt fresh, but also felt very much in the spirit of Carpenter where he wouldn't always draw attention to the foreground, but you'd see like there was a bit around a gas station where you just, as the camera was moving, you'd already seen a character and then you see their demise immediately. It's like, but it doesn't linger. It's just there and it's there for you to see. And it's on to the next thing. There's something really wrong in a good way. Watching a horror movies, seeing Michael Myers operate just almost like a, Almost like that too many cooks video I showed you, where like this guy, like the the weirdo, just shows up and yeah. the, like you're like, oh, that's that's something's not right with this. I can't put my finger. Oh, this is all wrong. So yeah, it was good. I liked it, and and I will say this too: back to back viewings in the theater. Nobody was an idiot in the theater. It made me wow. so happy and content to not have to deal with idiots. 
in the theater. There's a little bit of laughing near Overlord, but that's kind of there's some bits that that's supposed to be there. And Halloween, there's a couple of bits that caught people off guard in a funny way, and they, you hear some laughing, but it wasn't like inappropriate. It wasn't like it was souring the experience, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. So I uh, I did see one movie in the theater myself, uh, and that was Hunter Killer. Um, my father in law is a Navy man, and uh, he very rarely gets to see those types of movies in the theater because his wife, my mother in law, doesn't really enjoy anything outside of a G. Like she she's come to see like Captain America and Avengers, but those movies aren't really her cup of tea. She's sat through Force Awakens, um, but. I know for her specifically, like if she could see like if everything was like the sound of music or, (laughs) you know, any sort of 70s Disney fair, I think that she would be all on board. So this was definitely not a movie for her. So um, my wife and her father and I went to see Hunter Killer, which surprisingly, uh, while I wouldn't go, oh, it was a great movie. It It wasn't like it was, you know, another hunt for Red October, but it was, um, I don't. I don't know how to say this because it, it feels like I'm still putting it down. But it was. It was adequate. Like it was. Well, when your when your expectations set so low and a yeah. movie clears it, it almost bumps it up artificially. Where you're like, I thought this was going to be a shit show, and it was actually okay. And right. You kind of come out like. <laughs> That was better than I thought it was going to be. Kind of like like Escape Plan. I, that movie's not great, but I was expecting the movie <laughs> to be terrible in the theater. Yeah. And it's like. I came out like, oh, that was kind of fun. I liked it. So my bar was set real low for it. So I came out like kind of in a better mood after being like, all right, it did disappoint me. Yeah. And it was interesting, like with him watching it, you know, he spent some significant time in a sub. So like um, he was sort of, you know, you could tell where he was like, oh, they've clearly made this up or, you know, um, that's real. This isn't that kind of thing. But. Uh, the other thing uh, that I liked about the movie was is it very much felt like a, an older movie where they would be like, we've got a big star in this movie, but you know that they were like on set for two days to film all their <laughs> shots. Uh, Gary Oldman's in the movie, but like all of his f- scenes for the most part are all in one location, and they're not on the sub. So like, <laughs> it felt very much like they were like, we can get Gary Busey for a week, or Gary Busey. Gary Busey. <laughs> I need to see Gary Busey in a super serious submarine warfare movie, but being the commander of the sub. Gary Oldman. Uh, They're just launching his teeth at other other ships as they go by. Oh, it'd be amazing. It just felt like they were like, you get him for three days. Yeah. <laughs> and they filmed all this stuff, which, I mean, he's good in the movie. He's Gary Oldman. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that Gary Oldman's in where I'm like, oh, he was really phoning it in. Like, he was, he was Gary Oldman. But, uh, yeah, it just it reminded me of, like, we got so-and-so, John Saxon. It, it reminded me of how John Saxon would pop up in a movie well, for... What, what was it, Um, if, oh, uh, his, uh, the guy in uh, Star Crash, uh... He was just in um, Joe all, Spinell. No, no, or? no! All the all the money in the world. They brought him in to take over oh, for Kevin um, Spacey. Um, um, oh, I can shoot Christopher Plummer. Yeah, it's like they had him in there, and he was just like, <laughs> "It was Rome. I'm gonna go. I don't care." Like it was like, like, like I, I'm not saying Star Crash. I'm not saying Hunter Killer is now you know Star, Star Crash. Crash. Yeah, was there a robot with a southern accent in this film though? There was not. Oh, I think that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> so you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that like I would have run out to see it in the theater, but um, it was But you, it did, was enjoyable. you did run out and see the theater. Well, <laughs> to, 
Yeah, I guess so. So, it, it, but it wasn't one that like I don't even know like if it was on HBO if I would have given it a chance. That's and fair. that's possibly my own bias. So maybe that should teach me to not be so judgy. Well, and I feel like because we forced a lot of Mission Impossible down your throat a few a few weeks ago, <laughs> a couple months ago, uh, that I we I you know you you admitted to me like you know that this isn't really you know like that kind of th- those are different movies. But yeah, they, that kind of action you know, you know suspense genre isn't really your type of thing you know and so i could see how this would be a hard sell you know yeah. but then to go on and say you enjoyed it then i think the film does job then you know i think that's that's cool um i the last movie that i went in to go see that i was like i don't know how i feel about this because mary wanted to go see it and not not because i knew it was gonna be a bad movie i just had no interest was that uh saving mr banks the, okay. the, the one about mary poppins and uh walt disney trying to, to get the rights and it was like better than I was expecting it to be so I couldn't be like how dare you bring me to this wonderful movie that almost made me cry you know <laughs> um so so no that's cool um yeah I just but my whole weekend I just kind of rolled around in movies that's all I, I watched Deadpool 2 Deadpool 2 finally okay I by the way, it's, I might be the last person to see it. That's a pretty good movie. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. I was laughing. I don't normally laugh out loud watching movies at home that much, but I was cracking up watching that. I, there's a lot there I liked about it. I mean, um, I think some of my favorite jokes for the more subtle ones, which tend to be that way in in that movie, but the, the joke where he's talking about uh, being in the X Mansion and oh, nobody's around. <laughs> that was a great gag. That I, was. I I I lost it when I saw that. Uh, some of his direct quotes about the Greater Marvel Universe, yeah. they got away with. Like at one point, he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! The sun's going down there. The sun's getting real low, buddy." Like I thought that was <laughs> a great line. Uh, the whole thing about him at the end and like right before the credits, around the credits of what he does to uh, you know Fixed other time. events was amazing. Like so. I enjoyed that. Uh, the whole X-Force thing, not going to get into it, but I really enjoyed how they dealt with all that. Because um, if you guys have not seen the movie, you need to watch it. And also, if you've not seen the movie, there's a PG-13 cut of it coming out in theaters soon that's going to have a bookend like The Princess Bride. Yeah. So it's going to be Deadpool reading this to Fred Savage, a grown-up Fred Savage in a bed. So it makes me wonder how they're going to get around a lot of that movie. See, the yeah. thing of that is, though, is I've always maintained that it, that you know, Deadpool didn't have to be a hard R. So I'm curious to see what the PG-13 version. I didn't see Deadpool 2 in the theater. Yeah. Uh, you you gave me a copy to watch. So I might actually go see this PG-13 version of it. <laughs> I might Just too. to support yeah. it. So I'm curious to see what it is. Um, so yeah, it was it was good, and then I ended up watching uh, Annihilation. Finally, that was the the. One. I've heard so many good things about that movie. It's, I'm it's, afraid to watch it almost because. I've heard so much good stuff about it. Is it is good. It's challenging. Um, and I need to kind of ruminate on the the ending of it. Because um, I love... Uh, it's... Um, oh, uh, Alex Garland wrote, uh, wrote the screenplay and directed it. And he also did Ex Machina a couple of years ago, which I don't know if you've seen that or not. I haven't. Um, I have a copy. I should let you borrow it. Uh, it's, it's one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen in a long time. He also wrote the screenplay for 28 days later uh he sunshine like he's done some really really good movies and this is like a visual powerhouse of a film and it's very challenging and in a good way i still don't know how i ultimately feel about it but i'm glad that i've watched it i feel like there's a lot of serious sci-fi that i have not like 
I still haven't watched Blade Runner 2049. I still haven't watched Arrival. Um, I haven't seen Annihilation. Like, I feel like there's this whole genre of like serious <laughs> sci-fi movies that have been coming along. I the was last few I was years, late to the game haven't... on Arrival as well. But that is like if you that one's like I mean Annihilation is well worth your time as well. But uh, Arrival is really really good too. And that's, Blade, that's Blade what Runner, I've heard. yeah, it's just you, you need just kind of it's like it's like me sometimes where I'm like I don't have time for a movie, but then I'll play video games for seven hours and be like, oh, I could have watched three movies. You yeah. know, you just got to sometimes maybe just suck it up. Like for me, I just got to suck it up and watch a movie. Uh, last one, I just want to mention that I saw, and I know we're yeah, this, this is the tour of Paul's movies that he watched. Um, and it's funny because we're going to be talking about a comic book as our main main thing, and I'm like, we don't we've been talking about movies so much in October. Uh, the night comes for us. It's uh, an Indonesian action film uh, okay. that uh, it. It has so much action. Imagine like you go to a, like a like a Vegas buffet and like everything tastes so good, but after a while you're like, I can't look at any single thing anymore because I'm going to burst. That's how the action choreography in this film is, where it's like every single thing's awesome, but, but there's a point where like like whoa whoa whoa, I can't digest any more of what's going on in this movie because each each set piece is amazing and brutal oh, wow. and bloody. Like there are, it's it like. I don't know how you feel about like, like not Mar This isn't a martial arts film. It's more of a triad crime film, but there's a lot of fight sequences in it that are just, it is amazing how, how real they feel because of the pain that is dealt to everybody around. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's really, it's a hell of a thing. So, so it, yeah. it's weird when it comes to action movies, my tastes tend to lie towards absurd. Isn't the correct word, but like, if it's crazy, typically that's the thing that'll get me into it. Like, um, for instance, you know, Rumble in the Bronx, which is not by any standard like a great film, is just a amazing watch. Like, yeah, I, I saw that in the theater when they released I it. Said, yeah, same yeah, here. Yeah, it, was, it was so much fun. And yeah. It, yeah, it's a ridiculously fun movie. And like every time I watch it, I'm just like, I can't believe he's doing some of the things that he does. And obviously, the credits is nothing but him hurting himself <laughs> doing those things. But like that yeah. kind of thing, or if it's you know Commando, where like it's him annihilating you know an entire island of people you know in ridiculous ways. I'm you know I'm up for those types of action movies. But like you're serious, like you're yeah. Like action movies that I'm supposed to take seriously, or I shouldn't say that take themselves too seriously. Sometimes I'm not on, so I don't know. Like it's a it's a weird. I don't know how to how to describe well, it. Like I have a weird barometer for that thing. So and and then there's I'll say this as I stumble through it. I feel like what you're saying to me it makes sense, but it's almost similar to like when I first started dating my wife and she said she didn't like action movies. I'm like, well, you haven't watched the right ones. And so then I showed her a couple and she loved them. And I'm not saying that my taste is ultimate because it's not. I feel like some of these that like, like uh, the night comes for us. And then um, I watched, uh, I think I watched this year. Uh, it's been out for a while, but the raid and the raid Two. There's there's something about how well done it is that it elevates it above like other like action fair, what you might be thinking. So as well as ones that give it a chance, but it's going to leave, it's going to leave you scarred because there's some brutal things that happen in here, but the choreography is so fluid and amazing that mm -hmm. you're like, you can't stop watching it. And it, it's like I said, it's a, but it also is borderline horror at times because there's these parts where these guys are facing off against all these like, you know, hired like, you know, guns for the triad and they, they clear a room of like 20 of them. And then they have like a second to like catch their breath. And all of a sudden they hear a noise and there's like another 50 coming in. And it's like, it's almost like the triad is like, 
like a zombie horde of like you you're never going to get away from them all you can possibly do is postpone the inevitable okay and it's just like because every time you turn a corner it's like there's more of them and you kind of buy it because like this is organized crime just trying to you know to wipe out something you know so really good movie but yeah, that's all I did. I, and I, I played some video games, but I made it a point to kind of cocoon myself in some media because I feel like we haven't had a chance to kind of breathe and just like watch stuff. So that was a long talk about stuff we watched, but you know, that's what happened. It's our podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Recently, uh, uh, it was brought to our attention that there was a podcast bingo card out there <laughs> that Al uh, Goro on his uh, Talk Without Rhythm post on his Facebook page. And Steve pointed out there's one one square in particular that says, just two guys talking about pop culture. <laughs> and then there was another square that says, takes 10 minutes to get to the actual topic. And I was like, yeah, that's... Um, that's quaint. <laughs> so, and also I feel like we're kind of like, you know, we're dragging this along cause the news, the, the news is going to be sad. And, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, like I'm going to hit the news button and this is very much not in the spirit of what the news is. So take, take this with the gray assault, please. Good news, everyone. Hooray! Hooray! Denied. Denied. There's this yeah, is not good news. No good news here. We normally do three stories, and then we talk for another half hour, probably about movies that we watched. However, unfortunately, just a couple days ago, um, Stanley passed away, yeah. and this is going to be the one new story because who knows how long we'll talk about this. But yeah, I I can't pretend to be a historian about his life and all all the things he did, and and all, and I know that that there was there was some. There's there's some speculation about how much involvement he had with certain things or how much credit he took versus the creators. I uh, that's that's all that's probably there's some accuracy there and there's some truth there. However, I can't think of someone that was a bigger cheerleader for just I, not just Marvel, but like I, I don't know, like he always was excited to talk about something and always wanting to like talk, do, do the next thing. And, and, and like he had so many, he did have a lot of um, input on a lot of characters that are now just their bedrock. Like, you know, you can't like people that don't know comics and maybe only watch the movies in passing. They know his characters. Well, yeah. even, even with that, they know who he is because of his cameos. That's yeah. That's like fair. people who don't know comics, like, you know, will laugh when they see Stan Lee pop up in a movie because they're like, Oh, he's in this one too. And it's, it's sort of like a hooray, you know, kind yeah. of moment for all the movies. Um, uh, the thing that I loved about Stan Lee was that he was, while we, you know, call him the ambassador of comics, which is absolutely true, the reason that people were drawn to Marvel Comics, you know, especially back in the 60s and 70s when he was really heavily involved, was that he created sort of a a, a kinship with the reader, the, 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 the person picking up the comics, and made them feel like they were part of something. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very... <clears throat> On the level, he never talked down to his readers. He was never, you know, one of those guys who um, was putting on a facade. I mean, I'm sure some of it was a facade, but a lot of what he did with Marvel was, was he built up this sort of clubhouse mentality where it was like, you're part of the club. You're part of the Merry Marvel Marching Society. You're um, a friend of uh, Marvel. Um, yeah, I figured, yeah. It's Foom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
But, as, in, as in Fing Fang Foom. Yes. Like no one talks about it anymore. <laughs> but uh, that part of it was very much, you know, the public side of Marvel in the sense that he got people excited about it if they were reading the comics. He did these little um, blurbs in the comics called Stan's Soapbox, which I believe he wrote up into the 90s. Hmm. Um, so there was always, you know, a lot of the comics, there was always at least a message from Stan. Um, he gave out the uh, the no prize. Have you ever heard of the no yeah, prize? Yeah, no prize, Okay. Yeah. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, the no prize was is if you wrote in a letter to Marvel and they selected it, you know, especially if you picked something out of the comic to, it was either, you know, <clears throat> not an, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting choked up, not sad choked up, but. Physically choked <clears throat> up. Yeah. I'm trying not to cough. Um, he, uh, he would, send you this thing that was called a no prize and it was literally just an envelope that said no prize um which was wonderful um he created a real sense of community i guess within with his readers which i think was what was a big part of the early success of marvel and going back to what you were saying about the actual um creativity of stan lee versus the people that he worked with and the credit that was given there is some unease there in the sense that he wasn't always... I don't think that he was hogging the spotlight or hogging the, the credit. I think that he was getting credited, but he wasn't fighting as hard as he could have for other people to get that credit as well. It was never like... It was something that was thrown onto him in the sense of like, oh, it's Stanley, the creator of Spider-Man. And he would yeah. never... You know, he would go, yes, that's me. But at the same time... He wasn't actively seeking it, but he would also not go, oh, and Steve Ditko, don't forget him. Or, yeah. you know, oh, don't forget Jack Kirby. And he he started doing that more later in life. Um, there are a lot of interviews with him, I feel like, from the last 10 years where he would talk about Jack Kirby or he would talk about his relationship with Steve Ditko. And, um, you know, the John Romita, the people who he worked with to um, create a lot of what we know from the Marvel that we know and love. So there, there is some unease there in talking about that, but at the same time, it's hard not to associate him with Marvel. Like I can't separate the two out. Like even when he would go and do some sort of like, you know, Oh, Stanley entertainment, or he would do something for DC. You know, there was a whole like thing where he just wrote a, a, a bunch of alternate titles for DC, which, was like imagine if Stan Lee created DC characters, which I, well weren't really my bag. What I wanted to see was is like what's a Stan Lee Superman story? Like he gets that character and he he gets to write one story for that character. What would he do? I would have preferred that, but in the long run, he was somebody who no matter what was inseparable from Marvel and was a large portion of why people read Marvel. You know mm-hmm. whether or not the credit was accurately given or if he, he even, you know, didn't give it properly. It's hard to separate that, that out from what the perception is of Marvel, I guess. That's fair. I mean, and also if you think about some of his leadership caused them to hit some of their dire straits that forced him out. And then that's where they ended up selling the rights to Spider-Man and some other, the film rights to things, which in a weird way is kind of, like um, caused problems for them later, but then also eventually led to where they are now in terms of Marvel's like, you know, space in the world. 
And, and the, the fact that like when, when Marvel was bought by Disney and they started producing their, their films and Marvel had this plan, the, the kind of the embracing of Stan Lee was, I think was important, you know, yeah. cause he, he did make cameos in other films up to that point. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's like, I felt like it, it's almost, um, he, he was even in big hero six, which I mean, that film, that animated film is related to a comic. But it's nothing that he was associated with other right. than being Marvel. And they they gave him a cameo and being the father of one of the characters, for goodness sake. And it was wonderful. But it's like it's almost you're right. It's almost like he was he he was almost like the the Mickey not Mickey Mouse, but he was almost like the Walt Disney. Like yeah. you know, like in that sense of you, I think you, he very much was the Walt Disney of 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 Marvel, yeah. at least from a Public, spectator view. Yeah. 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 And and Walt was always in front trying to get you excited for the next thing, right? And Stan mm-hmm. was as well. So I, I, so thinking about this, and and everybody's gonna have their stories, and I know I got a little like melancholy on Facebook or whatever because I just it was important to me, and I just wanted likes. No, that's not why I did that, but I, it was important to me to kind of speak up on it. And, and even though I spoke about Spider Man, it's it just because that's the he's my favorite character, and like I have a Spider Man poster on the wall. I have. I don't know how much other Spider-Man stuff around. I mean, whatever. I just, I love Spider-Man. I love the notion, what Stan brought as well. And at least some of his legacy is like, uh, he, he always brought reality into the fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I, as much as I know you and I have talked about DC and there's a lot about DC that you love. Um, I always feel like there's a lot of characters that I just never felt a connection to because I just never got that. Like, yes, Batman had the tragedy of losing his parents and that's important and to find him and, and Spider-Man lost his, you know, like he didn't really know his parents and he lost his uncle. So there, the, the, these, these two tragedies shaped those characters going forward. But I, I don't know. I just felt like, like Batman was always, even though he had all the money in the world, but he just didn't have a hug from his dad. That always felt more disconnected to me. That I, then like the kid who's just trying to trying to juggle going through high school and then saving like you know not saving the world but fighting crime and trying to stop bad guys and also trying to get, catch the attention of the girl he likes but he's too much of a nerd to you know and Flash Thompson's bullying him and he knows that he can't beat him up because that would like that would be bad yeah. you know like I just like I I can really relate to all of that and and no matter no matter what success Spider Man has uh, you know. It, it never it doesn't help. Like for example, in the new the new Spider Man game that was just put out, which again, you know, like it, it, with Stan passing, it's sad. But you got to think that in his last you know his last few years, you know, Spider Man was on the upswing. No pun intended. I guess the pun uh, with like, the successful movie integration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This game that people have been over the moon about, like you know. High, right, and like, and, and and other characters he was involved with have had like Black Panther had a huge, you know, a huge coming out party in a year. Like Doctor Strange had a strong showing the year before. You know, if you're if you're on your way out and see all the things that you you know uh, cultivated like you know 40, 50 years ago are not only good, but they might be in a better spot than they've ever been. That's probably not a bad place to go out on. Right. But it, what I was going to say in the Spider-Man game, one of the very first things you do is as Peter Parker's, you wake up and you look at past new bills. Like, so yeah. there's always that grounding of just like, yeah, I can stick to walls. I can lift so much more weight than an average human. And I have all these senses, but I don't have a paycheck, you yeah. know, like I just, I, that always felt like I more associated with give me, give me the reality. And then that's the doorway to the, to the other. You know? Yeah, I mean that was what Stan did best was is he took 
modern, I shouldn't even say modern, because it was just everyday problems and applied it to superheroes. You know, Spider-Man gets a cold, he's still got to go out and be Spider-Man, you know. Um, he wants to go out and, you know, make money. Um, he can't do it off of being Spider-Man, you know, like... He kind of does because he gets paid for photos of Spider-Man, but <laughs> at the same sense, you know, he can't go and cash a check that's written out to Spider-Man. You know, he can't uh, he can't just go and become a wrestler. You know, uh, and fight Bonesaw McGraw. But uh, no matter how ready Bonesaw is, <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. <laughs> um, well, even so, like uh, like the Fantastic Four, which he created before Spider Man, like he saw the Justice League and was like, "Yeah, but what if like we could incorporate the idea of a family with this, right?" And that I, the Fantastic Four is more approachable to me because you you have brother sister rivalry, you have like the brother in law, and then you just happen to have a random pilot that turns into a rock. But whatever, like he's there too, and he's part of the family. But what he did with those characters, and he did this with all of his characters, is he infused them with personality. Which, and I say this as somebody who loves DC, and it's well. It's not the case today. If you look at the comics of that time, if you took off the the names of the characters in any sort of like Justice League comic, the dialogue could have come from any of the characters because they were all so much the same character. They didn't have a lot of personality. Yeah. So like if you just was like you could you could take you know dialogue that was coming out of Green Arrow's mouth, put it in Superman's mouth, and it would be the exact same character. Um, Stan really gave us you know these different characters and you know the fantastic four fought you know like johnny and the thing were always at each other's throats or playing pranks on each other you know reed was kind of a dick most of the time because he was working (laughs) on the science stuff well you know sue was like hey i want to go do something you know and he's like i can't the negative zone's falling (laughs) apart you know I'm sorry, honey. I just I, I'm dealing with a negative zone tonight. And then she's like, "Okay, I guess I'll just become the invisible woman." Like, it's that's a little spot on, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, and then Johnny being a hothead, you know, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Like it just they they they've developed over time, though. That was the touchstones to begin with. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, he created fantastic uh, characters, but with real personalities and everyday problems. Is yeah. I guess the ba- best way of putting it. Yeah, and then and I know like people like they like. I, at the time when they picked back up, what was it when they picked up? Uh, did they buy it? It was Timely Comics who turned into Marvel. Yeah. But somehow they got the rights to Captain America. Or was Captain Captain America part of Timely before that? I can't remember exactly. I don't remember if he was part. I I because he wasn't he like, wasn't a creation. He did exist yes. before. But the way they were able to integrate him, it's like you almost feel like it was. Yeah. You I know. Feel like it was part of Timely because that was uh, Kirby and. Schuster, I believe, or Siegel. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they retained the rights because they brought him back in I think Avengers three, which at that point I think they had become Marvel. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly where that is, uh, time wise or rights wise, but yeah, that that was, um, that was part of it you know and i think a lot of people always think that stanley created captain america yeah that's that's yeah and you like, know like it's also you see there's all social media postings of people reacting and, and rightfully so but the, you see like wolverine is sad it's like he wasn't created by stanley <laughs> which i mean i'm not saying that you know you can't still have that but it's like i know it was um i can't remember the guy's name off Hugh jackman 
No, not the actual creator of Wolverine. Oh, not, uh, which I, that'd be great if like Hugh Jackman's like I got a part for myself. I'll just go back in time and plant it. I, uh, was it Len Wein? Yes, that's it. Yes, because yeah, because even like he was the creator, and people kind of forgot about that. And well, so, he just passed away in the last year too, yeah. I believe. So, did, so did his creative rights f- default to Stanley? I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, but like even like uh, what was it, like the Punisher? It was Jer- Jerry Conway. Yeah, yeah, and like so, like so, th- like there's other characters that are ancillary, not ancillary, but are part of this. All this, it's just, it, it's he, he did unfortunately get credit for a lot of characters that he didn't create. Yeah, well, not speaking to like the creative teams that he worked with and them not getting credit just in the sense that like he had nothing to do with the character and would get credit even so. like so when they were doing the initial cameo for Guardians of the Galaxy the first film he was like I he was like I I shouldn't be in this and they're like why he's like I didn't create any of these characters and they're like yeah but we feel like you know we we got to have Stan Lee in this movie because it's yeah. a Marvel film and so I mean if he helped create the universe in which these you know a talking tree that says one you know phrase and a, a raccoon with a gun can exist he should be part of it, you yeah. know? So, but cause at first he was like, I didn't do anything to be involved with this and they let him in anyway. And it was wonderful, you know? So I, I think having somebody that had the vision and also he brought up about a lot of continuity that wasn't really in comics until they started doing it, which I mean, that can be a, um, you know, a double edged sword, but there was a lot of mate. You said you being part of the club where they'd have the little asterisks of like, see this issue with this. Yeah. If you're interested in a comic, cause these characters existed like they'd get past the conflict and they go on to the next thing, but they didn't forget what happened before that, you know? And so like, they'd still be, you know, of course you'd mention the one time something happened, you know, like, so you got to appreciate that too. I do know that like one of his philosophies as well, um, was that he would write and if he used a big word, he would not look for another word to, you know, substitute it to make it more accessible. His point of view was, is like, if the worst thing that comes out of a comic book is that a kid has to pull out a dictionary and look <laughs> up a word, you know, because he did, you know, invent a lot of stuff too. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of kids who grew up thinking Latveria was a real place as well. <laughs> um, but, but his whole point was, is like, you know, if I write something, because he did have a very dynamic writing style. There's one thing that you can say about Stan Lee was his writing style was very much his. Yeah. Um, and it was packed with enthusiasm, but also, you know, a lot of times, a lot of dialogue and sometimes, you know, a lot of big words. And, um, you know, his whole point of like, you know, if, if somebody's got to look it up, then they learn a word, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> what's the worst that can happen. But, yeah. uh, I do want to say one other thing too. Um, it's, it's interesting. Stan was real good friends with Bob Kane. And when it comes to the, the whole, like, idea of creator being how do i put this uh bob kane uh basically really didn't do a whole lot with batman um other than the initial design which was ultimately changed a lot Mm -hmm. and a lot of um what we know is Batman didn't come from Bob Kane. We'll put it that way. Um, and he had it written because I, I believe his father was a lawyer. And like his contract was that he could be the only person ever credited with creating Batman. That has since changed. And there's a, a great documentary on Hulu that I would recommend you watching if you're interested in it about Bill Finger, who's essentially the man who really created Batman. Um Stanley, it wasn't to that effect. Mm-hmm. You know, he did have a very strong hand in the characters that he created. So, um, you know, if Jack Kirby was left out, it, it wasn't 
simply in the sense of like Stan did nothing. He did do things, and I'm I am sensitive to the subject because I am somebody who who obviously loves and breathes comics, but also, you know, if something should ever ever happen with the comic that I do with my partner Ryan Cassandy, like I would never ever not be like he needs credit to or you know i would never n- take away from oh, that you know? like... <laughs> no did i say i'm sorry i said that wrong you're like the moment the movie starts to come out it's like ryan's gone, gone. That's no. it. <laughs> but like I, I would i try to no matter who i'm talking to say it's a you know it's a co-creation between the two us you know the two of us da, 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 da. um you're like it's a 5149 co-creation no i'm, just, I'm just... <laughs> No, I, I agree. It's the same thing, like with this, like uh, you know, it, it, you know, this is our this is a fifty fifty proposition, you know, in terms of creation. So yeah, I wouldn't be like it's all me, you know, like and then and then sometimes Steve, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Uh, but you're right, the, the notion of giving credit where credits do, I you know, I just I just wanted to not cast a um you know a, a, a shadow on what you know a, a man that is important to me in a lot of ways that probably still is not. Like I've, I've still haven't processed it completely just to think about how much of my life has been shaped yeah. by this other person and his creations and, uh, and the, the company that he helped, you know, uh, make big and all the other creations that came out of that. Like, I, I just, you know, I don't think I will ever truly understand the depths of how much that, that has affected me. So yeah, it was one of those bits where, um, it, in a in a way, it's like when it, when you texted me the news, and I started you know putting my little you know sad sack post on Facebook. I actually did get a little a little emotional thinking about it, and that doesn't hit me often with the people. As much as there's people that you love and you love their output, it's like you know you're just like okay, well, um, you know I'm sad that they're gone, but you I, you don't have that big like sense of mourning. Yeah, that one kind of hit me a little weird, and it's like the only other time I felt weird was like finding out that David Bowie was no longer with us. It's like, and I'm not that like I I like David Bowie. I'm not that as knowledgeable of his output. I'm like, oh, now the world has got less less interesting. Mm-hmm. And I will say the same thing with Stan. Like it's, you know, at least he left behind enough of, you know, an, enough that everybody else can pick it up and still do interesting and amazing things, mm-hmm. you know? And, and even, you could even argue even past the nineties, people have been doing that, you know, and like without his direct influence. Yeah. And there's been some, like some great, some great things have come out of it. So if you've left the world, and a, and a much better place creatively than you, you did coming into it, then, you know, that's all you can really hope for, you know? Yeah. And it's funny too, because I will always think of that's him. That's the hot take police coming for me right now. <laughs> I don't know if you, it's not really a hot take. I, I will always think of him, uh, as the Stanley in mall rats. Like that's, I, there's something about that movie and its importance to me at the time that I saw it. I mean, it was literally the movie that I think we watched every night in college for like a <laughs> good solid six months. Um, but that sort of fatherly sort of inspirational character who walks in and, you know, I mean, granted, it's, it's you know, it's a comedy scene. It's not meant to be serious, but like that's that's what I think of when I think of Stanley is I think of that sort of fatherly or grandfatherly character who comes in and gives you the advice just the right time and um you know i i did go home and watch that scene like after he'd passed just to kind of put a smile on my face because it 
with him passing, I mean, it's like he was 95. It's not like, why, Lord, why so soon? <laughs> you know, like he did get to 95, which is, you know, a, a fair bit older than a lot of people get. And, and, and for the level of activity that he was involved in right. for all his life, like he's he's lived more than I ever will. You yeah. know, like, let's just be honest. But at the same time, with him being 95, it just it was always like, well, he's going to live forever. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just have that in the back of your head where it's like, you know, Things that have always been around in my lifetime: television, uh, Pepsi Cola, and Stan Lee. You know, so it's just it's weird that you know. Yeah, it's just it's just like you know the the moment. Um, uh, oh, what's her face? Um, Betty, uh, um, not Davis. Uh, you know, the Golden Girl. Uh, what's her name? Um, oh, Betty White. Betty White. Why did I blank on that? The moment she leaves this world, I just feel like everyone's going to be like. There's no hope. Everything's lost. And we have. We can't. Nothing good could ever exist again. You know, and and she's up there too. You know, so yeah. it's like these people that have like active like social media presence and they're constantly doing things. It's like, yeah, you never want to think of them that they're going to go. But uh, you know, it, like this is one of those ones that it's like, it, you know, you t- you text me and I'm just like, it it wasn't it wasn't a shock. It was just more like a. We we just didn't get the chance to have a little bit more time with them, you know. Yeah, it and, was it, it was more of just a oh that sucks, yeah. like just a you know yeah a sad moment, but not like a you know a tragedy. Far from it. The man had a very wonderful life, and you know uh, he lived to the ripe age of ninety five. We should all be so lucky. Yeah. So. And and to create some comic book characters that you know spawn like twenty movies that are all connected and all that <laughs> stuff, right? That creates a character that somehow Sony kept screwing up, and then then finally worked with people and they did a good job with it. <laughs> like so. Well, yeah. I will say that I, I you know, and I don't want to go into a debate about the Spider Man movies. I still like Rainey's first two. Spider-Man oh yeah, no, movies, it's I, so. I, those were standing, you know. But then but then before that though, we had a weird Spider Man Japanese T V show, yeah. like other other things that happened too. So you know, I feel like if Stanley never met a marketing opportunity, he wouldn't wouldn't say no to, you know, as well. So <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh yeah, I just it's it's sad, but go if you guys haven't picked up a comic recently, go go read one. Go go find some older, you know, Spider Man. Go find like like the first the, the original Fantastic Four run the first few are a little hokey, but it's still worth reading. You know, like they, 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 it commits the sin that the thing we're about to talk about next still has that fragment of older comic writing where the thought bubble was, I used my powers and got away. Like, like, <laughs> like <laughs> there's a lot of that, like some of that where he's like, where he's like, Mr. Fantastic's like, I'll become a wheel under this car and we'll ride the safety. Like what? Like, like that's not, you know, like it just, there's these, like there's, there's some ways of presenting characters ideas. will oftentimes announce the things that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, or thinking about it in a way where it's like, I wouldn't have that direct thought, yeah. I'm, like, but whatever. Anyway, so he'll be missed. Um, there's still a lot of great people out there doing good things, but this, is, this really is like the end of an era. Yeah. You know? I mean, one final note on that. Yeah. Like when you say that now that I think about it, I mean, even if the man and the man was human, he was, he's, he was flawed, you know, like it's, it's hard not to, take away from that legendary status but like he was a human and he he did have his own flaws but if you look at the amount of people who are working today or have worked over the last 50 years in comics who have been inspired by him it's it's an outrageous number so um go and you know and that's 
some because uh, I had a friend of mine, you know, say, you know, her niece is very big Marvel fan, was really sad. And I was like, well, just tell her to go watch a movie or read a comic that he was in, you know, or worked on or a character that he created. Like, it's the best way to honor him is just go and enjoy some of the, the, the work that came from his life. Yeah. So, so there you go. Um, all right. So on that, you know, kind of positive, hopeful note about something sad. Let's get into our main topic. Ugh, this is going to be. I did not plan this to work out this way in terms of us talking about. Yeah, this. I mean yeah. it's a Marvel heavy show, but not by <laughs> any accounts by planning. Yeah. So. so let's let's just get into our, our our other talk of Marvel. And now for our feature presentation. Man, who'd have thought that one piece of news would go on as long as it did? You know. But like, well, that. <laughs> After that, I texted you that story, that was the thing. I was like, I don't know that we should do three stories. I'm like, I feel like this is going to be a big enough topic to... I was almost going to say, did you just want to do that as a show as opposed yeah. to... But we'd already committed our $4, or I should say, <laughs> Steve committed $4, <laughs> and I, I owe him $2. So uh, last week we talked about how we we're going to read uh, and discuss the 1982 graphic novel, uh, X-Men, God Loves, Man Kills, and... The, the interesting thing, there's a lot of interesting things about this. However, uh, if you guys have not read this yet, I, I posted it on the Facebook page, but go to Comixology. It's $4 to download. It's well worth it. Just, I mean, it's not, is it the, the single gray story we've written? No, but for four bucks to read something that's very um, important for its time, and I feel like it's unfortunately ringing truer as it goes on for what, it, what what's talking about, four bucks. You know, and, and the, I use the Comixology app on my iPad. And it, even then, even with the older style graphic novel, you do the double tap and it zooms in on the frames mm -hmm. and you can just scroll through it and it will actually, you know, shift to the proper frames on the page. So it still has that, that dynamic flow of the newer comics when you're reading in that enhanced view. It's the guided view. Yeah. Um, and I do not want to turn this into a comics discussion about digital comics versus printed comics. I don't know why, but it takes me so much longer, it feels like, to read a comic digitally. Hmm. Like, I was as I was reading this, I was like, I've got to almost be done. And then I'm like... 30 more pages. What What is going on here? Well, now, it was granted, a graphic novel. There was. <laughs> but like just the time that it, it took me to read it. Yeah. Like I, I can read a comic pretty quickly. And for whatever reason, when I read digitally, it, it takes me a lot longer. Um, but the one thing I did want to say about that is, is that if you're discouraged by the fact that it's an X-Men title in the sense that like, I can't go read that. Like there's so much history to the X-Men. This was actually designed, even though it was written 30, 34, 33 years ago? 82, what was 82? So, so it was 36 years ago. 36 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, it was designed to be accessible for anybody to walk in and read. Yeah. So all you need to know is, is that there's a group of the X-Men and you get introductions pretty much to all the characters anyways. Um, but there's no like, you have to have read, you know, issue 158 of <laughs> blah, blah, blah to understand what's going on. Yeah, and, the very thing we just talked about, Stanley yeah. like fostering. So yeah, the whole, the whole goal of this was also, there was some debate here, I guess, for a while if the story was even considered canon, yeah. which is a weird argument to have. But so this was the fifth graphic novel published by marvel and i didn't realize you think about it now you go into a comic shop you go wherever to pick up your books there's trade paperbacks of like you know six eight uh, issue arcs and those are i would consider them graphic novels because they're like you know i guess whatever right but this was a standalone graphic novel story and it was the fifth one that marvel put out i didn't actually look and see what the other ones were previous yeah. to this so this was kind of a different thing for them this didn't have to go through the comics code 
and it you know and yeah i i always get uneasy with the because i i used to use the term graphic novel a lot as well and i just you know it's just another word for comics it's just a way of making it sound smarter well no no that's fair but i'm saying like this was (laughs) this was like a 98 page standalone story no no that wasn't just treated as an issue but my brain just my brain just says it's a one-shot comic as opposed to calling it a graphic novel. Well, it's so. like calling Watchmen a graphic novel. And it's like, no, it was released as 12 issues yeah. over the course of a year, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I'm not trying to make this higher than what it was. It's no, just that no. it was a different publishing format I, And at that the time. was not about you. That no. was just about my distinction of the no, term. I, I, I only read graphic novels. I don't read right. comic <laughs> books. You know? not, well, those, those are kids' toys. Graphic novels are for men. <laughs> you know? It is funny because a lot of people tend to think that the trade paperbacks are graphic novels it's like well no it's just collected edition yeah i mean that's but like but they, they usually have an arc they have a title yeah. like so i you know whatever like well, uh, that's because they're written that way now that's true to 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 sell for the trade right yeah. yeah um so but this one i just think it's 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 just interesting because it was kind of a different publishing format uh and, it, and you're right it is the uh, chris claremont who wrote it which i mean if you talk about like you know creators that have influenced even though stan lee was responsible him and i forget who else that created the x-men this kirby kirby yeah let's see, see i i that's my son uh but chris claremont should be like always in the talk about the x-men because this guy mm-hmm. just you a lot of what you probably love about the x-men claremont's responsible for he's the guy that wrote the the X-Men, I believe, for the longest time, but also his run, like, if you ask most X-Men fans, like, what's one of their favorite runs, good chance that's going to come up is the Chris Claremont, uh, either Jim Lee or John Byrne run. Those mm-hmm. are the, the two names that are probably going to pop up in association with his. Well, because when they did the big relaunch with, like, the five covers that are all connected, that was Claremont coming back to the title, if I remember right, right? Because he had stepped away for a bit. I thought that was that was right before Jim Lee went to Image, wasn't oh. it? Yeah, because so, you know, you're right. Cause cause I feel like Claremont yeah. left after that. Okay, see, I, I my my history's bad, but uh, but yeah, so Claremont like knows he knows the X Men, and 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 he is responsible for a lot that you like. And and Steve's right, this book you can read it, and even if you have a passing knowledge of the X Men, it this, this does enough to fill in. Like you don't need to know. Like they have Colossus's sister Ilyana in here. And they hint at something with her, which, you know, she's not truly a mutant. She's actually affected by magic. Uh, that's never once spoken of in the book other than saying that she's not a mutant. And it's right. not important. Like, the important thing is that she's, you know, Peter's sister, uh, Piotr's sister. Is yeah. That, yeah. And and that she has been captured at one point. And that's all you need to know. It's not It's not like you have to have all this other stuff with it. Um, and the same thing also, like, you get the idea that there's some mentorship between um, Wolverine and, um, and Ariel, is what they called Kitty Pride then. Yeah, that threw me off, because yeah. I, I was like... I guess that's her. I'm like, I guess that's Kitty Pride, but I just always think of her as Kitty Pride. Or Shadow Cat. Or Shadow Cat, yeah. yeah. Ariel. And then she has the weird juggalo like diamonds on her eyes or something for Yeah, I think the outfit was the biggest like it was weird. It's a green and yellow outfit. It's, it looks like an electro like yeah, yeah, it's not style. great. The rest of the designs though are pretty great. They're pretty iconic and like what you expect. You yeah, know? I like, mean the version of Wolverine that's in this comic is the version that I always see in my head. That's the the, the version that I brown see. and yellow suit, brown like, and yellow suit, or smoking a cigar, wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, like, exactly. And and the artist too is uh, Brent Anderson, which I think you can speak more of too. Yeah, Brent Anderson. Um, for those of you who read comics, would probably mostly know him from Astro City. Um, and if you don't know what Astro City is, if you don't read comics, I would highly suggest checking out Astro City. Astro it's him, City. Uh, Kurt Busick. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It's. 
I, I don't even know how to put it, but it's most of the issues are one-shot stories. A lot of them are about a day in the life or a story of just one of the denizens of Astro City, and it's a city populated with superheroes. Um, and a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but there are certain analogies to certain other popular characters that, you know, um, for instance, there's a... I want to say it's Samaritan, but I don't think that's his name. There's like a Superman type character that hmm. one of the stories is dedicated to. There's a um, character who's uh, a jester who he's actually a good guy, but he's very much in the vein of hmm. like the Joker in some senses or maybe even the Creeper. But long story short, Astro City um, is a really well done title. It's been around for about 20 years now, I think. Um, and he was the... Uh, illustrator of that. The books always had Alex Ross covers, but um, he was the interior artist for pretty much everything. Yeah, and um, and so, and I, I like the, the art style in this actually serves the story very well because it's very much more. It feels grounded in reality. Um, He's got a very illustrative style as opposed to like a, a again going back to like Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby was known for more of his dynamic uh, poses and striking images as opposed to like his attention to like physical real life um, reality. Like he wasn't concerned with making sure that, you know, a phone looked exactly like a phone kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas you could tell Brent Anderson is very much a classical style artist and that like, if you're going to see a phone, it's going to look exactly like a payphone from 1982, you know? So. Yeah. And, and so just, just to mention, cause it feels like it is grounded in reality. And, um, and they, people said that's very, very much like Neil Adams. Like yeah. it's very similar to that. Well, and, who, if you read anything about the, the story, uh, and I know I'm oh, yeah, ahead, yeah, yeah. he was actually going to draw it at one point and he did preliminary work on it. I think the first like eight or 10 pages, but then they, got rid of those pages when Brian Anderson came on. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, we, there you go. Creative people behind this, uh, kind of like how this exists. The reason I, I chose this uh, to talk about, aside from the fact that there's a lot of good reasons to talk about it, uh, is for whatever, for whatever reason, I read this as a kid and didn't understand. I mean, I understood it was a standalone story and I, you know, you're right. I need to know all the other X-Men stuff. It was like the first like grown up comic I read mm -hmm. in the sense that like, like this one and like the other one I remember all the time was Spider-Man versus Wolverine number one, which that was just a one shot. And that was more serious because it dealt with like East West Berlin, Germany and like a lot of stuff. And it was very was it East versus West or man against man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just the big thing there was that like, uh, you that know, it was a Rocky. Reference. Yeah. I just the Spider-Man and Wolverine had were facing off and it ended brutally in a cemetery. And I remember that, but, uh, there was, it wasn't your typical, like when I think of comics, I think of like the, the fun and adventure and the jokes and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And this, God loves, man kills. You know, there, there's a couple of jokes here and there, just because I mean, you got Nightcrawler in here, you got Wolverine making some quips, but it's a very serious story. It, from right from the get go, it's very op up and uh, open about what type of story you're reading. Like the story literally begins with the murder of two mutant children. Yeah, like they're they're running for their lives, a brother and sister. Uh, they end up on like the schoolyard, like playground, yeah. and the purifiers. And it's it's yeah. not like oh the Sentinels got him or something no. comic booky. It's literally them being shot to death by essentially and them questioning why. Yeah, and the purifiers, which are just a group of non mutant people that are devoted to the cause by this uh, uh, Reverend Reverend William Stryker, who has this like you know. Um, justification for saying that these are all abominations of God, and that 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 you know humans 
not mutants are like the chosen and that anything else is the work of Satan and the purifiers, you know, are his, his, like, you know, his, his weapon of choice are these people that use it's tech. his army. Yeah, it's his army. They use guns. They use other tech. They use yeah. other things to get to accomplish their means. And because people are, um, he's, he's stoking the fires. He keeps like, he has, it's, it's funny. They specifically say that he has rallies that um, yeah. people go to. They talks about like the curses of mutantdom and, and he, and he quotes the Bible throughout um, and to justify his cause. And in the process, he sees Xavier as, as uh, the antichrist. Professor Xavier, leader of the X Men, and um, and and basically is trying to um, undo him in front of the cameras and show Xavier for being you know a bad guy or misguided. Um, but Stryker has his crusade; he has his cause, and um, you find out his his reasons for what he's doing, which is really screwed up. Uh, it's, it's a human reaction. It's not a correct reaction, <laughs> you know? Um, but he believes this isn't just a sham of trying to get something else. He honestly believes his own message mm-hmm. and there's there. And regardless of how strong Colossus is or how much, you know, Wolverine can, you know, regenerate, you can't stop someone. I mean, trying to stop someone that fully believes what they're doing, their own message. It, you, you can't superpowers. Don't stop that. And this was a very interesting foil for the X-Men to deal with. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go semi-off topic for just a second. I mean, I'm still on topic, but like away from the story for a second. Have you listened to the show, Steve? (laughs) Well, I remember, and this is just me speaking to my my history with the X-Men might be a better way of putting it. Uh, I remember the first time, I don't even remember who it was that was like, you know, Clearly, the X Men, you know, is an analogy for, you know, um, racism, and um, it's actually for a whole bunch of different, you know, types of um, social. Um, yeah, like they're, they're literally being called the X Men. Yes, like they're they're the outsiders. They're the they're the other. They're the outcasts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether it be homosexual or a race issue or a religious issue or, you know, that kind of thing. Nationality, yeah. Ethnic, thank you. Um, But I remember the first time somebody was like, you know, well, Professor X is, you know, Martin Luther King and Magneto is is Malcolm X. And I remember my mind just being blown up, like (laughs) seeing like, oh my God, this is like an analogy for that you know, struggle that was happening. Um, this story really takes that to heart, um, particularly in the sense that at one point, and I, I'm skipping to the end, but like uh, Xavier starts to consider Magneto's point of view, um, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I forgot. About, there's a lot about this book I forgot about because it's been for a long time since I had, had, had read it. You're right. I, it seemed very out of character for Xavier to almost be like, you know what? what I was doing wasn't working. Maybe, right. maybe it's time to consider, you know, your option, crazy Magneto. And I mean, it's just, it, it's quickly, quickly squashed at the end of the book. But, um, what I find interesting is, is that, um, the story also brings out that analogy right at the beginning where, and this is a very delicate subject, but I, I will say, a, I was taken aback cause I, I don't remember this from reading it before. 
But the N-word is used in a comparison to somebody throwing a slur at somebody. Yeah, there's um, a bit where um, uh, Ariel... Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride. <laughs> Shadow, Shadow Cat. Uh, there, like, there's a, um, a place somewhere in New York where... Is it, dan- is it dancing or like martial it's, arts or I, something? I it was dancing. Dancing. And like it was her and some other people like uh, you know Colossus and I think Storm was around. Maybe. I can't remember. There was other, other X-Men that were around. And someone, but they, but they were all in their street clothes, so no one knew who they were, other than like the dance instructor, right? Who was African American, and so Kitty Pride's having this like very vigorous discussion with this guy who called said something about called, said something about someone being a mutie or something about Striker's Crusade and believing it, and she just hauls off and socks him, yeah, and and then so they pull her apart, and then it's like. You know, basically, the dance instructor's like, you know, you shouldn't always let people get to you like this. And she's like, yeah, but what if they called you this? Yeah. And straight up, you know, says that. And I forgot about that. And I'm just like, whoa. Like, it was... A, I think just the fact that, like, it was from 1982. Like, I'm like, wow, I didn't... I, I wouldn't expect this in comic books today. I didn't expect it in one from well, That's why I mentioned this was outside the Comics Code Authority because yeah. it could be published for a different market. Um, and then after she left, the, the, the person that had this interaction was like, you, you get the notion of like, she, you know, um, she's right. Like yeah. I, you know, like I understand where she's coming from. And it's also very important at the time to point out when, when uh, uh, Kitty's having this uh, conversation, you see her star David, yeah. not, not only is she a mutant, she, she's Jewish. Jewish. And it's like, and then you also have later on with Magneto, who was also like, uh, is he Jewish? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. He yeah. was Jewish. Uh, and it's like, you have this thing of like, you know, there's all these like, just and, and later on, even with like um, with Nightcrawler, it's never said specifically in this story, but he is a very devout Catholic mm-hmm. and a man of faith. And it's odd that they didn't actually bring that up at all in this book. But it's not not necessarily important in the story because Kurt is also he's just a good guy and wants to do right. Yeah. Uh, but you have all these different faiths here. On top of the fact that one can teleport and looks like a demon, and one can phase. It's like there's there was more to it than just like if someone if someone's able to call somebody out for their outward appearance because they're a mutant, then where's the line drawn of what they're going to call out next? Right. And that's what they were worried about. Um, and there's a bit where they're all sitting down to watch Nightline, how quaint. <laughs> there was a debate yeah. between Stryker and Xavier, and that was an interesting segment as well because even though the way the story was told, they didn't. there wasn't a lot of back and forth between Stryker and Xavier shown on the screen. It was more of the reactions to what people had seen where they're like, oh, Charles didn't do too well there, did he? And then like someone's like, yep, they, that's just giving more fire for Stryker there. And then even in the production booth, like some of the commentary that was going on and some of the optics. Yeah. Being older now, not really realizing how important optics is in the display of the news media. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it was just, I mean, I understand I'm coloring it with the history of now versus then, right? but it is just, it is stark, mm-hmm. you know, like I, pff, it was hard to read this and, and keep it separated in 1982, you know, and yeah. like, but that's not, I think, I think the best stories uh, that have something to say that you can learn from don't have to be more than the time in which they're written, but uh, just trying to understand like, you know, where Claremont and company were coming from at that time. Um, Cause I mean, what 82, that, that's not. That's not too far away from the hangover of the 70s, which was like the collapse of the idealism of like, we could all get together. We could all love one another. And then that kind of fell apart. And then some of these old hates still run deep, you know? So um, anyway. Yeah. I just, you know, it it was interesting to me because I just, I flashed back to when I'd had that, you know, 
that realization that, you know, Xavier and Magneto, whether intentional or not, were very much uh, similar to, you know, King and Malcolm X. Um, And then to see it just so, like, prominently displayed within the first, I think it's 10 pages of the story. Like, it's one of the very first things that happens. It was like, wow, like, you know, I don't remember this for for whatever reason. I I should, but um, I was just really like a seeing it in the book threw me off you know um but then also the fact that it was like oh wow they really like just letting it you know which you couldn't do in the normal comic you know like you said um they were really just get getting right out in front of it i guess is the best way of putting it yeah because there was no need to be delicate about it in the sense i agree so um no it's 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 uh it was interesting of the choice and I still think it it's the, if it's to get it to slap the reader in the face of like, this is what we're talking about, then it's an effective choice and it wasn't exploitive. It was just, you know, yeah. one person who is a minority and a minority, uh, you know, in the sense of being, you know, yeah. of being younger female Jewish and also a phase walker, you know, whatever yeah. like that, you know, she, you know, she has a reason to be, you know, uh, already like upset about what's going on and, and to try to try to clarify to others, like, this is why this, like, you know, if you change the words, you see what's going on, you know? So I, I think that was an interesting uh, statement and it's, it was powerful it, is the best way to put it. And yeah. it's, I feel like it's more powerful now because I feel like, uh, yeah. that word may have been used more frequently and more tossed aside at that time now where I feel like it's, it is atomic, you know, yeah. like it's very radioactive, uh, in the way of, of you know, of, of the way it can be used. Um, and rightfully so it's not a good term, no. you know, like I'm not, I'm not falling on the side of like, you know, you know, words should come back some other, <laughs> no, no, but, um, so, but then think about the makeup of the, the X-Men team. You have Colossus who's Russian. You have Kitty who is, is Jewish. You have Kurt who is uh, German. In demon, I don't know what his, but yeah. he's just born with a devil's tail and like six, two fingers, two thumbs, can teleport. You know, fun guy. You know, uh, and Wolverine Canadian. I mean, the, those bastard Canadians. And then you had Storm, who is, um, you know, uh, she is African and Egyptian, yeah. right? Like that's I forget what country they actually had her from, but I know she was also in Egypt for a while as well. Like this is, this is like the United Nations of like you know of heroes, and I think. The X Men were, were and you, oh, sorry, you had Cyclops. Meh, Cyclops. Who I forgot about him. <laughs> American that wears sunglasses and is kind of a dick. Uh, no, uh, and he actually Cyclops actually is represented very well in this book. I want to say that like you know he wasn't the typical like goddamn a Cyclops. He actually had some good points to make. Yeah. Um, I think you could have chosen like for this being a standalone story, you could have chosen whatever X Men you wanted to tell the story, but I think there's some, there, it's purposeful picking all corners of the earth as well on top of their abilities. Yeah. And also there's a brief segment in, um, in the danger room because they get pissed off at what happens on the nightline program where they're like, well, let's just go in the danger room and break shit. And I like that they set up the scenario for each of them to overcome. And then eventually they're like, Nope, let's just break the rules and work as a team. And it's like, that also speaks throughout the book of like, you're being challenged specifically. You don't have to do this alone. Yeah. And it's a very, very quick and like succinct way of showing them working as a team. And it's a, fu- it's a fun little bit of how, kind of how they all work it out. Like, so there, there's a lot here that I like. And, and also it's not like the most, it's not a hard book to read, you know, like you could just read it as an X-Men story where Xavier and uh, Cyclops and, and Storm get kidnapped 
uh, for nefarious reasons, and the X-Men have to go save them, and then they have a showdown, and that's that. You could read it as that, and there's a little bit of action. Um, I like that the action's kind of like underplayed for the most part. Like it's it, yeah. I mean, the most action that I think that you get in the story is really the danger room sequence. That's the most comic booky sequence in the and story. And there's a, involving a runaway car that uh, the oh, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. purifier is like that. you know she'd rather be killed than uh, be taken captive, and then she gets taken out of the car in Colossus. I, th- th- there's two separate times in this book where it shows an X Men destroying an engine or holding an engine. Yeah. At one point they're doing like Strikers going through his file of all the X Men like that are current, and one of them shows Wolverine like ripping up an engine block with his claws <laughs> and then later on colossus is holding an engine block i'm like did uh <laughs> i don't think it's part of the script i just think Brian anderson is like strong engines i think that might be what that well, is <laughs> going back to his illustrative style like i feel like um you know use the com- comparison you know say of like a jack kirby who you know that would have might have looked like a you know a space shuttle engine <laughs> you know the way he drew stuff so like it's everything's very representative in this this uh story which gives it a, a a, a real world tint to it, yeah. um, and actually, that's one of the things that I, 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 I enjoy the coloring process of the eighties um, and older comics. Uh, you can tell that this was originally probably painted isn't the correct word because it was probably done with um, not not like oils or acrylics, but it was probably done with. Um, uh, uh, I can't think of What's, the word. Um, not, not color, not color pencil. Not colored no. pencil, but it was it was like an ink wash. It was like okay. a um, a watercolorish type thing. Okay. Uh, but I, I believe it was a dye of some sort. Uh, um, long story short, like it's <laughs> well, we it read it digitally. The, yeah. Um, I think it looks better on paper, and this is just a personal preference. That type of look works better on paper than me than, than digitally. But it it very much feels of that of the story like there's part of me that wants to see the story recolored but there's part of me that really likes that it maintained the look that it had from 36 years ago yeah um because the colors are very much how do i put this they're a little subdued and then and then the um the the nightmare sequences involving xavier like the this this red this almost blood red like nightmare and that sequence by itself again as a kid never really picked up like i was like oh that's not good but there's so much allegory and imagery there i just thought the evil looking x-men looked cool that right. like you know but. well I, I guess the point that I was trying to make is is that you know with the comics today a lot of the comic comic book coloring and you know I understand why but like everything has its own you know <laughs> you've got a light source hitting it and everything is highlighted on you know maybe one sp- spot of the body but like uh, every muscle seems to have its own like highlight mid-tone and shadow every like piece of a lot of comic book coloring now is colored to the the fullest extent whereas this is much more about giving a feeling Mm -hmm. um which is one of the things that i i personally enjoy quite a bit about comics from that time was is that there was a lot more coloring done just to evoke something as opposed to being spot on well and i also like that um 
you know, Colossus is this, you know, towering strong guy, right? So mm-hmm. he has muscle definition and Wolverine does too, you know, to some degree. But like Magneto is just an old dude in a suit. Like I like that they didn't have to make him like, you know, Buffs McGee running right. around. Like he was just, you know, and but he was the most powerful one of all of them. And some of the stuff that he did in the story, I mean, we, we forget to mention, he shows up early on because he he's the one that like he I think he sees the kids that are shot at the beginning. And he's like, we got to We got to stop this. And so he goes to the X-Men as like saying, hey, we have a common a common foe. Let's work together to, to yeah. stop this. And Magneto plays a pretty big part of the story, at least in terms of like, you know, the 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 discussion of what to do. And mm-hmm. uh and I like his presentation here that he still looks powerful. When he shows up to that rally and is there midair confronting Stryker, like you have no doubt, you know, what what he is and what he's capable of doing. Um and I I like that Magneto. I don't need, you know, I don't need Rob Liefeld Magneto. <laughs> like, I don't right. need, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I also like the fact that Magneto, his point of view is so much, you know, we may be different um, in the sense of the way that we're going to approach uh, solving this problem, but I don't want to see any mutant hurt. Like, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not that he's begrudgingly joining up with them, but he realizes that there's a, a greater good to be served by the two of them or the, him working with the team, I should say. Um, and I feel like in a lot of stories, it would be like, you know, there would be a line to the extent of like, we may be friends now, but yeah. once this is over, we go back to trying to kill each other. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was what I was expecting. Um, so I was glad to see that it was very much more about a theo- not theological, a philosophical difference as opposed yeah. to him just being outright evil. Yeah, well, because even even uh, Scott confronts him about like he's like, but don't you want to take over the world? He's like, yeah, to basically say to save it in his own mind of like, yeah. you know, if you eliminate a lot of this, then then we can have progress, we can have paradise. And he said even the most liberal of countries would not even notice the freedoms taken from them. Basically saying, yeah, I'm going to rule with like you know with authority, but you wouldn't really notice it, which I don't know how that would work. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it just he was still like because they and they reference like he's like you know I know what the what it is to have people that have belief and power absolute and how that can damage others if they want to start casting blame on on others. Yeah. You know, and because I mean the whole you know being a survivor of the Holocaust is a defining piece of Magneto, um, and you know, it's brought up here, and it, rightfully so, you know? I do wonder how much longer they're going to be able to use that in the comics. Yeah, I just... I it, it, It's going to be... You're right. I don't know what the... Because I feel like a lot of stuff is, uh, in terms of, like, the Punisher and everything else has moved from, like, you know, Vietnam up to, like, you know... Unfortunately, uh, we've got wars all the time, so you can yeah. just plug them into whatever the latest war was. But. Yeah, you could. I mean, not, not that you... Unfortunately, you're right. So yeah, yeah, updating is not going to be. I mean, you know. I'm sure at some point there'll be like he went to, uh, um, you know, Iraq in the '90s, or you know, he went to, um, or he, after 9/11 went. Yeah. To, yeah so yeah. you could there. There's a number of bad things that have happened in Europe that you could have him placed there, growing yeah. up and being upset about it. You know, and and having a reason to be upset about it. But you're right. Like, but this was defining at this time because I mean, this is '82. This is only. Uh, when did World War II end? Um, was it 44? Something like that. So, I mean, really, honestly, it, it shouldn't be that far out of memory, right. you know? And so, um, yeah, that's, that shapes it. So, Stryker as a character uh, is 
interesting because he believes absolute, but he also he also knows the means to an end because you get the idea that like even though he he believes in his crusade, he will shortcut to get the result that he wants. Not that he doesn't believe the cause isn't worthy, but if that means using technology, if that means, you know, like bending the rules to get to what he thinks is correct. And then you get this flashback of his origin of, of like his moment of being like this guy who you know served his country and um, was sent out near some bomb testing and was told that this would not be a problem and would not affect him. And then his wife was pregnant and um, they had a car wreck and she was, you know, giving birth earlier or it was forced the labor started. Yeah. And then to find out that what was given birth to, which you never see, he says is a monster and then does the one thing he feels is humane, which is kill it. And then his wife, because he blamed her for yeah. coming into the world uh, and then believing that the, the, this was God's sign of like, you need, you know, this needs to stop. Like I just, that is, that's tragic and messed up. I don't, I don't think it's relatable. The one part that is relatable is what he says in all of this, um, because you feel like he feels a little bit of guilt and some sympathy when he says he puts his wife and her child in her arms into the car and then sets it on fire. It's like, for someone that had no compassion to kill a baby and they kill your wife, you seem to feel like it was important for her to hold it while you were setting fire to the car. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that's sympathetic. I'm just saying it's interesting, you know, like that he was still trying to justify that he was still a better, a better person by being like, I can still so, show sympathy, even though I just killed two people. Right. You know? Um, and then even later on, Whatever, uh, his right hand, uh, uh, forget her name, but she was like the leader of the purifiers. You, you see her throughout the story antagonizing the X-Men. Uh, whenever that's revealed that his plan, uh, that she may not be as pure as he thought she was, he's so quick to dismiss her and views it as like a tragedy, but he doesn't, he doesn't feel sympathy towards her. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, like. Because uh, the whole thing, which if you guys have seen X two, X two takes a lot from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the X Men, the second X Men film, takes a lot from this, including the character of Striker, uh, using Xavier to manipulate Cerebro, which is the um, the the his big machine that he makes to reach out to mutants to find them, but to use as a weapon to kill mutants as opposed to locate them. That's throughout X two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when the machine turns on, uh, people that you didn't know that may be mutants or partly mutant or even a little bit mutant were being affected by the machine. And that just, it just showed, uh, it showed that maybe his, uh, his vision wasn't as, um, absolute as he thought. Right. You know, uh, I, I, cause I thought for some reason it was him that had blood in his ears at the end, but it turned out to be her yeah. his his, uh, associate, um, powerful moment, you know? Uh, and also how do you feel about, even though the X-Men saved Xavier, how do you feel like the resolution pretty much wasn't due to them? It was due to everybody, like to the the one lone officer that kind of stopped everything. How do you feel about that? I thought that was actually very interesting because there's actually throughout the story pieces of the everyday man sort of commenting mm-hmm. on it, um, you know, and it, it's very, very relatable to the world we're living in now where... Um, you know, the two cops are talking, um, you know, uh, during the, 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 I guess it's a sermon, uh, towards the end. Yeah. His big rally. His big rally. Um, you know, and one of them is like, you know, well, he's making some good points. And the other guy is like, 
you know, he's like, yeah, but you don't understand what those points are driving at. Like he's looking to yeah, essentially exterminate them, or at least that's what I got out of it. Well, no, because the one guy's was, like, look at the crowd. They're re- like, this yeah, is not, they're this, eating is not it up. Yeah. this is not what, this is not good. You yeah. know, like, um, and then even earlier, whenever um, uh, the one cop tries to st- uh, stop uh, one of the purifiers on the subway and ends up getting shot because of Kitty. Um, and then, so in the middle of all this, the X-Men are like, we need to get him to a hospital. And then Magneto makes that magic carpet of metal that they all ride on, <laughs> but he removes the bullet. And it's like, they make sure that this cop that was, you know, trying to save her gets the, the medical the, attention yeah. that he needs. And then uh, you know, at the end of the big showdown where it's basically the X-Men come out and say, here we are. Like you, you like, we're going to show the world. Because the whole thing is like he knows that like Stryker knows that it's win win for him if his machine works and kills the mutants, yeah. then he wins. It's also win win for him if the X Men show up and make a violent scene and try to stop him. But the the even the one cop mentions he's like he's not trying like when Magneto shows up he's like he's not trying to you know kill you know he's not here to hurt us because yeah, he point out moment. that he he's reforms like, the, the, the ceiling, ceiling of the, yeah. the structure. He's like he's here you know to to make a statement not to cause a conflict, right. you know? And I think that was very important for that because, you know, easily if someone with powers could just show up and start laying waste. But yeah, the whole thing was a striker knew that if he could draw a reaction out, that would just justify his message even further. And the, and the fact to have the thing come down to a discussion and have him pull a gun and aim it at Kitty. Um, and then when, you know, you, you see a gunshot go off and you see him fall to the side and a police officer stand there saying, I don't know about you guys, but I saw this man like point a gun at an unarmed girl. Like, you know, it's like, that was, yeah. Ugh. And I actually, I took a screenshot of this, this, uh, one caption or not caption, word balloon from the story, um, happening, uh, during one of the sequences. Um, and it's, it's on the street. So I believe it's when, uh, um, the, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's after the policeman is shot, um, okay. and uh, the the word balloon is, it is one thing they note to criticize government policy and moral state of the nation, and they're talking about Stryker's um, sermon. Uh, quite another to single out a specific group of people and brand them as literally less than human. To many, it betokens an attitude uncomfortably reminiscent of that held in Nazi Germany against the Jews. Um, and I don't know that we can get much more relevant than now in the sense that, like, look, we've been kind of dancing around it throughout this episode, but, like, the parallels of this story to today, um, one of the points of the story is is that words aren't just words, because that's what we'll hear a lot of times, mm-hmm. where, like, you know, we had we have a president who at one point didn't immediately outright condemn a Nazi group. Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't understand how that happens, but also the fact that, um, you know, letting these things slide and just saying that they're words or that they're, you know, telling it like it is or like that should not be acceptable. Um, and it's it's scary when it becomes acceptable, I guess is the best way that I can put it. And, you know, it, it's right there in this story. And it's very much a parallel to the times that we're, we're living in, especially with the way tensions are, regardless of which side you're on. There's You cannot deny that there's tensions throughout this country right now. Yeah, and I posted as well. Um, there was, like, 
uh, Chris Claremont when they re-released this book in 2003. He wrote this big thing. It's 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 like it's like two pages long or like four columns long. It's really interesting to read. But the last thing he says here is, the irony of God loves is that it was very much of its time and place, and yet almost 20 years later, the sentiments and the inspirations that brought it into being retain the relevance. Uh, people are still judged more by the color of their skin and the nation of their origin and the faith they espouse than their character. And I still find myself dreaming of a time when all of that is behind us and saying, why not? You know, as in, why, why is this? Like, why, why can't we not get past this? And this was like, you know, you know, 2002. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, not, not to, to, to get, you know, political, I mean, but it just, we're at a time right now when there is this, this caravan of people coming, you know, that they're, they're walking towards the border to ask for asylum and because where they're coming from, they fear for their lives. And there's various reasons why they're doing this. And, and we're a company, we're a, not a company, we're a country that allows that to happen. Like we allow people to come here and seek asylum. That's yeah. always been legal. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this country, <laughs> as we know, were found by people that weren't here to begin with, right. you know, uh, uh, but this was turned into a a uh, a weapon. This was turned into a scare of like, well, they're coming. We don't know. And it's like, you know, I'm not saying that you don't want to properly vet people when they're trying to seek asylum, but I'm sure there's processes in place. And someone will point to me the one time it failed versus the millions of times it didn't. You know, right. um, there there's a point in this comic that's actually become a meme the past few years where Stryker's pointing at at Nightcrawler saying, also "You call this thing human," <laughs> and everyone's like. Why does it look like why why does it always look like Mike Pence is trying to outlaw mutants and it's like the guy Striker has a passing resemblance to Pence which was obviously not intended yeah um, it just happens to be very like coincidental that they look an awful lot alike and seem to have a lot of similar views yeah um it, it, so the X Men have always existed in the sense of you know they're different but they found family and they're always going to try to fight. Uh, so that others won't get hurt, and that that one day they may be accepted. Um, but they also it just their their message has always been like you know, um, you know we'll love one another and, and fight those that that want to oppose and and not include. But we also understand that we have the power to take what we want, but that's not the same thing as being you know like accepted. Yeah, you know? and. and- when we mention like you know because we both get uneasy when it's like i don't want to get political here because i don't want to you know turn it into a political discussion but the truth of the matter is is that all comics or almost all stories whether you realize it or not have some sort of political either content or agenda is not the correct word but influence is a better way exist in the times which they're written like yes like watchman would not be nearly as interesting if it wasn't written in the wake of the Nixon administration. Right. You know, like, and people kind of forget that, you know, like, um, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to think of what else has come out. Like, uh, I, you know, recent that is spoken to like the, the, the political times. And I, I'm so, I'm so, well, I mean, get out. yeah, that's a good example of a film speaking directly to, you know, to yeah. what's, to what's going on. Um, so something like, like God loves man kills. Like it's, um, it meant a lot to me as a kid reading it because I'm like, all oh, this is a grown up story, and it is important to understand that you shouldn't just single out people because they're different than you and you and you don't understand, and because it doesn't fit your worldview doesn't mean that that's you know that that's the correct 
worldview. Right. Um, and, and, and you talk about Xavier having that moment of hesitation saying, maybe I should join Magneto. That, that goes to that saying, well, maybe my whole attempt here of trying to do better and, and educate and, and raise up, this, has, this still got us to the point to where I was taken captive. I almost killed you know, numerous people. Right. against my will maybe this isn't working out right and then cyclops stand up and be like no you taught us this and this is a fight worth having that i think that's almost bigger like that's one of that that's, i think that i don't think it's lost because it is definitely the way the story ends but it's also that other part of that lesson too that this is the fight worth having because if you don't have this fight people with absolute belief like striker will fill that vacuum yeah you know and and almost do really bad things you know so and, I, and unfortunately, it's it's one of those things again. We're we're being reminded of. Um, if you happen to not agree with what's going on, you can see how uh, people's um, lack of action or lack of attention, or or the belief that we're not capable of doing something like this because we've learned our lessons from the past hundred years. You know, it it doesn't. You know, you constantly have to try to fight the fight. Right, and. Uh you know, I'm always astounded when I hear someone say like, oh, keep your politics out of my story or, uh, you know, particularly when it comes to comics or sci-fi or whatever. Because I, I, I'm like, did we grow up reading the same? I, and I should say probably from people my age group, but like I'm always surprised because I'm like, did we grow up reading the same things? Like, it's always been there. Like, mm-hmm. how, how did you miss that? Like, like you know, I. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like there was the whole thing people were posting around election time of like the Superman Superman talking to the kids about like you know treating everybody equal and, and yeah. include, inclusion and then uh, you know there's all this stuff of these values that we talk about and then to see people that say they are for this but then uh, their attitudes and actions and words are very much different and they're saying they're doing it in the name of these values is um it's bizarre and in comics you're right like this is stuff that we've always read about like superman superman is the perfect like he is an alien he is a stranger in a strange land he is not human but he's adopted this world and respects a lot of what you know humanity's trying to do and 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 even though he knows he's the one of the most powerful creatures on you know the universe he's going to fight for what's right right you know and and uh, like it's it's also mind blowing to me that like the Captain America now the one represented in the movies is like you know it's almost old fashioned but it's like he is more like he's like I, you know I've seen war I've seen oppression and I want to keep that mindset and that viewpoint and 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 it's not on my watch you know and and with this I you know I know we're getting off a little tangent with some of the characters but I I just this but- is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point that I'm, I was trying to make is is that it's 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 always been there in some essence or another. You yeah. Know? And uh, whether it's going back to you know look at something like this or you know looking at uh, you know the way Dark Knight Returns was written in the '80s or um, you know I'm sure if we went back to well a good one is is to go back and look at the first story arc that uh, they did for Captain America after 9/11 mm-hmm. um, where he has to deal with the fact that you know some of the things that have happened in our country are due to the way we handled things in the past you know like mm-hmm. it's a very political story and that's a whole other ball of wax going into that that story but like 
that that's always been an element of these stories. You know, when I say like, oh, I I'm bored by the politics of Star Wars. I'm not talking about the actual politics. I'm bored by the fact that, you know, there's a half an hour scene of people talking in the Senate. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying yeah. keep the politics out, but I'm just I'm always surprised at that reaction. You know, um, now granted, if it was like suddenly, you know, hey, here's a story about Superman. You know. Uh, deciding that there should be one master race, then yeah, I definitely have a problem with that. But <laughs> well, th- that's why you have like the offshoots of like Red Sun. Yeah, like you have that exploring, like you know, how would this be approached? Like, what is this? Um, yeah, and I, the yeah. idea behind Red Sun is is what if he landed in Russia as opposed to America? Yeah, you know. So, um, but yeah, I just I it's it's hard to talk about this book without talking about like you know because this was also kind of a call and response to the rise of like you know the the televangelists and that kind of movement of like just really getting loud and boisterous and and um you know just that that kind of like shouting fire in a crowded theater of like getting that kind of panic about things and starting to to create fear of the other you know and and and, And and, using religion to justify it yes and so um, that's that's why I think it's important that you have Shadowcat in there. That's why I think it's important you have Curtin here. You know, like you, it's interesting that this guy's talking about faith and quoting a book that both their faiths also acknowledge. Yeah. But because they're they might you know one can just walk through walls and one can bamf wherever he wants. Right. That's not good enough. You know, and it's just I. It, this unfortunately, the story is still pertinent and still rings true. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be any less important. It's just it's unfortunate that it'd be it'd be better to read this and be like, wow, I'm glad that we've learned a yeah. lot since then. You know? Yeah, you wanna read it and be like, God, those were awful times. I'm so glad that we learned <laughs> our lesson, you know, or we learned from those lessons. Yeah. It was so easy to rip an engine off a car back then. I don't even know <laughs> what happened. No, but just yeah, like just to, to kind of put a, to to put a pen in. I like I said, this this does commit the sin of the whole like I was able to phase out just in time. Like that whole there's yeah. some of that like thinking through things where you know I. It, but it, it it isn't so much that it knocks me out of the story. I'm just like, oh, comics were different back then, you know. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, if this is your first time reading an X Men book, maybe uh, Kitty Pride's powers are confusing. You yeah, know, like, I I do think it's funny. Too. Too, that like um, when I used to watch the uh, X Men count cartoon in the '90s, my biggest problem with Storm was that she would announce everything before she did it. <laughs> She'd be like, "I call on the winds of the blah 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 mm-hmm. and the lightning to," and it's like, "Just do it already! Like, yeah. stop talking. Your powers over the weather, not uh, <laughs> not declaratory statements." Right. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> there was a lot of that kind of thing yeah. in comics back then. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm glad that we we uh, we read this, talked about. It. I'm glad that you were down for it. Um, you know, and again, I know we kind of went through some of the story, and if you've already seen X two, you kind of know some of the beats. Again, four dollars. You know, if you've not read it, read it. It's like ninety eight pages, but that's ninety eight comic book pages. It's not. Yeah, you can read it in one sitting. Even though I yeah. said that it was, you know, tougher for me to get through it reading it digitally, or not tougher, it just took me longer. Still read it, like I. <laughs> I don't mean that to put it off. Although, if you happen to find yourself in a comic book shop and they have it sitting on the wall, pick it up. Yeah. And, and again, there's also some good Wolverine bits. There's the whole bit with him putting his fist up against the guy's chin, yeah. popping the claws. Like I, I love that se- sequence. I put it on Facebook because that's one of the things <laughs> I remembered. Uh, there, there's there's still some just good, there's some good X-Men-ness going on in this book. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it just it was it was good worth uh, worth reading again. Uh, unfortunately, very pertinent to what's going on, uh, and I hope you guys give it a chance. So yeah, go go check out God Loves Man Kills, available in Comicsology. We don't work for Comicsology, but it's four bucks, uh, two bucks if you already know Steve and he already you know. Like, <laughs> and and uh, or go to Carolyn Johns in in uh, Cam's Corner. And yeah, pick there will be that spike of three copies. Like we sold three. <laughs> like, what happened? Yeah, no, yeah. Tell them Stephen Paul said Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for that part of the conversation. If you guys have any thoughts, feelings, anything else you want to share in regards to God Loves, Man Kills, uh, or if there's other important arcs that maybe we've not been aware of, you know, that let us know. Put us on put on the Facebook page. Yeah. I'm down to read more. Uh, I'm down for Steve to use his uh, account. I'll just read them later. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, so you can find us on Facebook. We're Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, we have a website, invasionofthepodcast.com, where we have the blog. I finally got around to updating the blog with my review of the film uh, Bad Dreams. Um, I had struggled with it, not because the film, just because of my the blogging platform just did not save the, the first time I went to try to save the draft like halfway through. Wiped it all out. That was a bummer. Had to go back and rewrite it. Hope you guys like really, really um, hard to look at GIFs of people stabbing themselves like <laughs> it's a weird movie uh there was a theme uh somehow of hand mutilation uh between uh dolly dearest and uh and bad, bad dreams. dreams yeah so uh and then also i'm not going to say it here but you guys got to read uh the guy who played the villain in that movie he was oddly qualified to play the villain in that movie and it's it's a terrifying reason um so check out the, the blog uh and also you can find us on itunes uh stitcher podbean google music uh where you find you know wherever you find your podcast if you could rate and review us that'd be great and steve where can people find you and what else is going on so you can find uh find me at the saturday night slasher.com on uh facebook and instagram it's also under the saturday night slasher twitter it's under the saturday night or just the saturday slasher for whatever reason i think it was too many characters um but this weekend, uh, November 17th and 18th, I'm going to be at Dark Christmas in Hudson, Ohio. Um, and actually, one of those days, I believe, I will be joined by Paul. So if you yep. want to come by and say hello to both of us and tell us uh, what you thought of... Uh, You're going to be like, beauty, and then just start attacking us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, just to give you a quick rundown, I mean, tickets are only 10 bucks to get into the show. And like, if you've ever been to a convention, t $10 tickets these days seem to be a rarity. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, we've got Lisa Wilcox, who's from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 4 and 5. Amanda Wiss, who is in the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. She's also in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I will always think of her, even though I'm a horror fan, I always think of her as Beth from Better Off Dead. Um, Felissa Rose, who was from uh, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Tommy Morin, who I did not realize this was Aaron Morin's brother, who she was Joni on uh, oh, Happy oh, Days. Okay, um, He is briefly Michael in the original Halloween, where the mask gets taken off. Okay, That's him. Oh. Um, and uh, Ken Sagos, who was Kincaid in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I'm hoping to pit Paul and uh, Kincaid against no, I'm each not, other. No, Kate, you know, I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm going to be like, it was nice to meet you, sir. Your movie was fine. <laughs> but uh, I'll be there um, Saturday and Sunday. Come by, say hello, buy a comic, buy some art, um, or a drink. Yeah. Not we're mixing drinks me, over there. Yeah. <laughs> 
for me. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait. It'll be fun to to shill and busk and whatever and yeah. sell your comics. We'll, we'll so. have a free invasion of the podcast stickers. At the, oh, at the I, okay. We we could do that. I, that's fine. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna be all about the slasher. I wasn't gonna try to you know. I always uh, put the oh. I always put it out with the, okay, all that cool. stuff. Well, someone has to pick them up. Like so. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, so before we get to the game, as mentioned, next week we're gonna have a guest on the show. Uh, Nick from Geek Eclectic is going to be on with us. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, do creators owe fans? It's more of a philosophical discussion. Uh, it, it's uh, hope, hopefully it won't be political. <laughs> it's like, a big subject, yeah. but there's I think we're all going to be able to come at it from different points of view. Yeah, not so much points of view, but different experiences. Yeah, and so our fandoms. It'll be it'll be a fun talk, and then we're also going to tease now because I'm just going to call a shot. We're going to have our our Black Friday specials because this will be for Thanksgiving. Make sure you're going to pay attention. You do not want to miss our our special in depth Black Friday specials. Uh, so yeah, that's next week. For now, uh, real quick, we're just going to we're going to celebrate National Food Day, and let's just let's just do that. <laughs> Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> national fast food day, not just national food. It's, it's food national day. food day! Yeah. Enjoy your extra big ass fries! You didn't give me no fries, I got an empty box. Would you like another extra big ass fries? I said I didn't get any. Thank you. Your account has been charged. Your balance is zero. Please what? come back when you can afford oh, to make no, a purchase. No. I'm sorry you're having come trouble. Come on. I'm My sorry you're starving. This should help you calm down. Please come back when you can afford to make a purchase. Your kids are starving. Carl's Jr. believes no child should go hungry. You are an unfit mother. Your children will be placed in the custody of Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. F*** you. I'm eating. Just I couldn't help it. Uh, so it turns out, so we recorded this on Wednesday. Thursday is uh, National uh, Clear Out Your Fridge Day, and I guess it's supposed to be prepared for Thanksgiving. But then Friday is National Fast Food Day, which I find like funny that the day before is like, get rid of all the stuff out of your fridge. And you're going to be like, oh, we got nothing. Guess we got to go get fast food. So to celebrate National Fast Food Day, I decided I'm going to challenge Steve here. Uh, is uh, these, are, these are all, um, well, not all. That what I'm going to give to you is two items. One is a real item that has showed up on a fast food menu, and 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 one is not. So, I was hoping this was like a, a taste test. A taste test, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I got bags. Of yeah, yeah. Here's here's a, a Twinkie Wiener sandwich from UHF. No, uh, <laughs> so just just a heads up. There might be a few in here that both options are real. Okay. So just you know. Get rid of the just get rid of the fakery from the get go. Here's this like, no get rid of the the trickery I should say. So first one we're gonna do here is um, uh, the KFC Double Down Dog or the KFC Georgia Gold Biscuit Taco. <laughs> oh man, the Double Down Dog sounds real to me. I don't know why because I can't imagine KFC making a taco, but. Uh... I mean, they did make a sandwich at one point where, like, the bread was literally chicken. Yeah, that was the double down sandwich. Oh, well, was it? Yeah, okay. it was two chicken patties with stuff in the middle, and the bread, the chicken patties were the parts of the sandwich. <laughs> um, so you're right. The double down dog was actually overseas. It is a a chicken hot dog bun with a hot dog in, it. like, you know, so the the chicken is the bun, and it's the double down dog. 
and it, it sounds, I say it sounds disgusting, and I'd probably be like, you know what? I liked it. Because I, I, I don't know if I actually had a double down, because I feel like as bad as I eat in my life, and as much as I know that I'm not going to live 95 like Stanley, <laughs> the double down still sounded like Paul. This is too much. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, every time I go to KFC, uh, my stomach immediately regrets it afterwards. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I'm good from for a good solid year before I forget what KFC does to me. And then I go back. Yeah, but, I just, it's, it's such... Like I, I like the, 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 the chicken tenders, like as my, my wife says, well, they're just grown up like, you know, chicken finger. I'm like, that's fine. I don't need bones. I, I don't need more work to eat poorly. You know, like I don't like I fried chicken's fine. But just give me the tenders. It's fine. But I like, I do like their sides. I can't help it. Like I like their mashed potatoes. It's probably as terrible as they are. I love them. I love the biscuits, but yeah, anyway. So next one, uh, Burger King, uh, Captain Crunch shake. Like a milkshake? Okay. Or a Lucky Charms milkshake? I feel like those are both real. Uh, one of them is real. Okay. Uh, then I, I think the Captain Crunch shake is real. Uh, I threw that out there to throw you off because it's the idea of having a shake that would cut the roof of your mouth. <laughs> Didn't sound that appealing to me. No, the Lucky Charms shake is the real thing. And it's okay. like, I just, I don't know. Well, I remember, I, I feel like there was one that my wife wanted to try. I think it was the Fruit Loops shake. That that came out after this one. Okay. I guess Burger King's just like, hey, everybody, you like breakfast cereal, but too lazy to actually you know, eat it in the morning? What if we make it into a shake? You yeah, know, so. Steak and Shake uh, does those as well because... Mm. Uh, uh, that's like for whatever reason like whenever my in-laws come to visit we always end up at steak and shake because it's close to the house and they seem to really like it there so um i have noticed that they have their own brand of like cereal shakes Mm. as well i don't know i mean i guess it's fine i mean i but if someone was like hey paul would you like a lucky charms blizzard i'd be like yeah just hit me hit me i'll take it (laughs) make everything could be a blizzard i'll just try it you know it's fine paul did you want a kfc double down dog blizzard yes just I'll, i'll try it no all right next one uh Tim Hortons sriracha frappe or a buffalo flavored latte? God, those both sound awful. Like I don't drink coffee a so or lattes. A. You said drink your coffee a like like you specifically <laughs> mentioned Tim Hortons. <laughs> I don't drink coffee a. <laughs> like I'm speaking to our Canadian yeah. audience. Yes, um, but I don't. <laughs> A, I don't drink coffee. B, I'm not big on sriracha, so like. Ah, oh, those both sound horrible. But I, I think <laughs> there's such a craze with sriracha now. I'm gonna say that one's real. Okay, it was the buffalo flavored latte. Okay, well, uh, which is like a latte with like buffalo stuff put on top of it. It's like, <laughs> and it was actually real buffalo meat. Yeah, no, like buffalo <laughs> sauce, like no, sauce, whatever. But it was tested in a couple like uh, Tim Hortons around buffalo itself. So I think that's probably I don't know. Did you? So did you know that Columbus is actually a large test kitchen area? Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Like, no. <laughs> uh, they actually try a lot of different food items there because they believe that demographic-wise, Columbus is representative of a lot of America. Like the okay. different, so so there's a lot of weird stuff that gets tried out there that you don't find anywhere else. Uh, so they have a lot of test kitchens in Columbus. Interesting. Um, so if you ever want to go down to Columbus and try weird foods, we can do that. Um, all right. <laughs> We're going on the road for Invasion we're, of the Podcast. Yeah, we're just going to go and hopefully Paul go and Steve be like Test Kitchen, Columbus. go to Taco Bell and be like, hit me, you know. Uh, so give me something weird. Uh, so, all right. Uh, Taco Bell, speaking of Taco Bell, the Cheetos quesadilla or the Kit Kat quesadilla? So, I haven't seen the Kit Kat quesadilla because I heard about it 
And then I like because my wife, that's like one of the she's a vegetarian, but it's like one of the few places that she can order like more than just one thing at a fast food place. Okay. Um, so she like if she gets fast food, it's usually from Taco Bell. And when I heard about it, I was like, you could, yeah, I want one of those Kit Kat <laughs> uh, enchiladas or whatever like, the hell it was called. I've had a taco that was Choco. <laughs> I need a quesadilla that's a Kit Kat. Quesadilla, yeah. yeah. Um, so I know that one's real. So, okay. But to be honest with you, it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past them to make a Cheetos-flavored taco or whatever it was. <laughs> quesadilla. Quesadilla. And you're right. That's also a real thing. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> they have the freaking Doritos tacos, which I don't... Everyone's like, they're so good. I'm like, no. They're, they're, they, they fall apart, and then you get orange fingers. Like, I don't... like like that, No. That's like... I don't need messier food that, that's like... Like, you know... It's not a strong taco, and it also leaves me in the position of having cheese fingers. You know? So here's the one thing I'll say about that is is that um, while I don't get the Doritos tacos, have you ever had a walking taco made from a bag of Doritos? Um, no, I know what you're talking about. No, I haven't done that. It's essentially where you take like the small bags of Doritos. Yeah, just dump taco stuff in it. Yeah, and, eat it and then way. eat it that yeah. way. Um, that's really good. But uh, uh, the Frito burrito is actually pretty good. <laughs> Do you think that it just like it has to rhyme? You know, uh, yeah, um, and it's only a dollar, so I'm always like, it's a dollar. And, but then that means they're selling it for profit. So how much does it really cost to make one of those? You know, um, all right. ninety-seven cents. So, yeah. All right, we'll do the the next one here. It's uh, Denny's uh, fried cheese stick melt. So it's a it's a, a melt sandwich, like you know, it's a whatever with actual cheese sticks in there, like mozzarella sticks. Uh huh. Or the Denny's heart attack slam. I feel like those are both real as well because I, I I can almost say again with my wife being a vegetarian doesn't mean she always makes great choices. I feel like she got the mozzarella cheese sandwich at some point. Maybe Denny's doesn't make it, but I feel like no, somebody no, does. they they do. I've okay. had it. It's like, I was like that sounds kind of terrible, and it's it's okay. The heart attack slam is not real. I did make. Oh that up, so. well, it, it seemed like that would be like the thing that they'd be like, yeah. I'm in for the heart attack slam. It's bigger than the grand slam. Yeah. Uh, it just makes me think of the hard tech grill, like those places where oh, they're yeah. like, "Oh, you're over a certain weight, you eat for free. You're not going to eat here long." You know, um, we saw one of those while we were in Vegas, and I'm just like, you know, I could qualify for some food, but then that makes me question myself further, and I am not doing that. So I qualify for f- for food, but I don't want to feel the shame. So. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather pay for food and feel like I've you know like, hey, I'm doing this to myself as opposed to you're rewarding me for this decision. You know, so yeah. All right, next one: uh, McDonald's spam breakfast platter or IHOP's spam and waffles. Oh man, I feel like that sounds like a British thing for some reason. Um, Oh man, I don't know that you can make spam fly at at, at McDonald's, but at the same time, I I hop spam and waffles. Is that yeah? What, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say the spam and waffles is real. Okay, the spam breakfast platter is real, and it's in Hawaii. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, it was. I don't know if it still is, okay. but yeah. So spam's a big deal in Hawaii. I uh, quick question for yeah. you: uh, Have you ever had chicken and waffles? Yes. Okay, I have not. And like you're I, missing out. I, well, it's really freaking good. It makes no sense. Well, it, it kind of makes sense because you got the crispy and then you got the batter. Yeah. And then the maple syrup goes really well with everything. Because I, I said to my wife, I don't remember what we were watching, but somebody mentioned chicken and waffles. I was like, ah, you know, I'm like, we should have gone to Roscoe's when we were in L.A. Because that's, you know, yeah. chicken Roscoe's chicken and waffles mentioned in a few movies. And I was like, I've never had chicken and waffles. She's like, you know, you can just 
do that here. You don't have to like. That's true. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but I, I don't know. I'm like, I just never. I've never been anywhere and been like, you know what? I'm going to try the chicken and waffles. So, so like, un- it's not unrelated. Really served around here. I though. think KFC is actually starting to serve it as a, like a special like oh, okay. limited time. No, you can find chicken and waffles around here. IHOP does it. Um, uh, the XYZ Tavern, actually, real close to us down the street, does it. Okay. Um, it was really good, by the way. Theirs was really good. Huh. Uh, it's a thing now, you know, so you can find uh-huh. it. Um, you know, so you should try. So it. maybe I should go to Columbus and see. Yeah, no, you should try it once. And then there was the Lay's potato chips. Remember they did all the weird flavors. One of them was chicken and waffles, and yeah. it tasted pretty damn good. Most of so. the time, those flavors are just like, oh, this is not as good as it sounded. On the, the, the bag. mocha, the mocha chips were weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all right, next one. Uh, uh, so uh, Burger King pumpkin chocolate French fries or a pumpkin spice pumpkin spice chicken wrap. Oh God, pumpkin spice chicken wrap just sounds real. Um, <laughs> sounds real tasty. It, no, I. Uh, um, I'm gonna say that one's real. The pumpkin okay. spice chicken wrap. It would be the chocolate French fries, uh, pumpkin chocolate French fries. So it's actually French fries with like chocolate and uh, pumpkin sauce, which that might be better because at least you got the, you know. The fries, I don't know, versus a pumpkin spice chicken wrap. I don't know what that would even mean. That sounds that sounds disgusting to me. All right, all right. Next one. This is also Burger King. Uh, the Windows Seven Whopper. What the hell is that? Or the Apple Eye Big Mac. <laughs> I was like, the window? What? Like, I was assuming it was like a, you know, the packaging had a window in it, so you could see your Whopper. Um, it does. It, it does have seven patties. Well, I, who? Uh, um, so that must be real if it's got seven patties, <laughs> and not just clever because it's the Windows Seven Whopper. Yeah. It also, I mean, when you go, oh, to eat no, it, there's nothing clever about no, it. No, it's uh, <laughs> um, it sometimes freezes up and you can't finish it. That's also what it does. Uh, no, uh, it is real. It was over in Japan, and I, I made up the Apple I Big Mac because I thought that'd be funny. I like the idea that it's come with like all these different color boxes, yeah. you know, and it cost way too much, and <laughs> you couldn't choose what topics you want to. It's just the way it came. Like you had, but you were such a fan that you'd get it anyway. Um, that's me making fun of Apple, <laughs> like, which I love their products, but I hate their like. Oh, by the way, you can't change anything in it, and if something breaks, you got to buy a whole new one. So yeah. yeah. Where with the Windows Seven Whopper, if one of the patties was bad, you could just switch it out with another one. You know, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. And uh, you got seven of them, so there was probably a good chance that there was. Them, yes. All right, next one. Uh, this is McDonald's. The McLobster. <laughs> <laughs> or the Hula Burger. Oh, I feel like the Hula Burger is real because it came with pineapple on it. Uh, it was just pineapple. Okay. It, it was in lieu of actual patty, uh, meat patty. They were trying to do like a vegetarian thing, so it was a grilled pineapple slice. Yeah, it sounds awful. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that one's definitely real. Um but yeah, the one that made me wheeze like an old man, I'm going to say is fake. <laughs> the McLobster? Yeah. It is real. Yeah. It was served in like some New England areas and, and parts of Canada. It, it looks like it's, whatever this is, it's served on like a hot dog a hot dog bun with like some lobster meat and other stuff in it. I'm not a big seafood guy to begin with, so this looks disgusting, but <laughs> the McLobster, you know, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Man. Zoid burger on a bun. All right. And uh, last but not least in our national fast food day celebration here, Carl's Jr. Got to bring it back. <laughs> Flamin' Hot Cheetos Burger or Arby's Meat Wagon Sandwich. Ooh. Um, you know, 
Flamin' Cheetos sounds just terrible enough to make into a sandwich, so I'm going to say that one's real. And you'd be right. Carl's Jr. They, they slash Hardee's, they they fear nothing. They, they everything. It's just like, <laughs> like because you know, like they're, they're, they've received a lot of flack at the time, like for their like Monster Thick Shake and like some of their bigger burgers, because they would they would gleefully show the calorie counts on this stuff, and everybody's yeah. like, you know, that's unhealthy. They're like, and. Like it was like they they just like you know it was a point of pride. Like, there's not people coming here and being like, oh, I need to eat healthy. I better I better just get a small uh, monster thick shake, you know, and yeah. a small Carl's Jr. Flame and Hot Cheetos burger, you know, like yeah. But the meat wagon, I just thought maybe because they have Arby's is we have the meats, so I just figured you know they'd put one of each of their meats on the sandwich, which they probably do. It might actually have a name, but I like the idea. It's a meat wagon. Meat wagon. Yeah. So all right. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry now. So uh, that that's that's going to do it for our our national fast food celebration. I'm going to go um, out looking for a Kit Kat uh, <laughs> quesadilla. Quesadilla. Yeah. I was going to say chalupa. Kit <laughs> <laughs> chalupa. Oh man, that sure. Why not? All right, all right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a safe week, everybody. Come out to uh, Dark Christmas. Dark Christmas, yeah. Hudson, Ohio. I was going to say Black Christmas. I was like, about the Black Christmas? Um, that doesn't end well. Go out to Dark Christmas and, and meet us and meet Kincaid and, and everything. It'll be a lot of fun. And then next week, like I said, we're going to have a guest on and we're going to have some philosophical debate uh, uh, before before the holiday and some Black Friday deals. Woohoo! Woohoo! All right. See you guys next week.